Welcome to episode 291 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. This feels like deja vu. It does. It does. All right. So we recorded a show a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was mostly a Jason show. It was a catch up on a lot of things yeah. that I've been doing. Um, you didn't have a lot you wanted to talk about. So yeah. you just asked me a bunch, a bunch of stuff. The problem is I spoke a little too openly about a handful of topics that I probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, they were things that they weren't bad. It was just, you know, the things that you can say and have recorded and distributed on the internet. And there's things that you can only talk about with people yeah. in person. And uh, I realized after listening to the show when making the notes that a there were too much inside information each, each of those topics i we spent a significant amount of time talking about something that probably shouldn't be talking about um and they were all personal things that i you're know, not per, personal things that i'm involved in and so i just said you know what this is just this is not even worth editing it's a funny run of luck for uh for us because obviously the show before that like the bulk of it was just wiped out because of audio quality and then we did this other show and we couldn't put it out because we just spoke about stuff that shouldn't really be out. And so, sorry, sorry, you know, to you guys, to you people. <laughs> just, uh, I, so I guess it's been a long time since they've had a proper show, like what, a month and a half at this stage? Yeah, I've gotten a couple emails um, recently from yeah. people wondering if we were like, going to continue the show. And a we couple, really, couple were really nice. One, one guy emailed me and he's like, hey, he was Andrew Cox. He's like, hey, listen, you know, if you're done. Uh, thanks for all the shows, but keep me on Ebony and Elon list if you do something in the future. And I thought it was cool, but uh, I replied and said, "No, we're we're doing a show." So we just can. just for clarity, like if we're done, we'll we will say we're done. Um, we're just I don't know. Our lives are just both got a lot of a lot in them at the moment, and then with these two snafus of the two recent shows, yeah, that's probably why it just feels pretty rough. Yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, now so there's a there's a crap load to talk about. Well, let's uh, let's start with uh, how was your uh, Christmas? Great, really good. Anything? Uh, any highlights you want to talk about or not? Well, my mom's my mom stayed with us in town. Who's uh, in the other room listening to us record this show right now? That's always a highlight. And um, no stories. Stories in terms of did I get any really interesting presents? Yeah, anything that is a highlight. Anything that would be worth sharing with the world. If not, that's fine. Not, it was just a pleasant. It was just a pleasant. Yeah, relaxing. it was just a pleasant, nice Christmas. That's a good way of putting okay. it. Yeah. So I got a couple of funny things. So, um, first thing, uh, I, um, my kids, you know, you know, we stay up late night before, and yet, you have which put the kids to bed. We end up creating or wrapping all of the presents from Santa, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't put the Santa presents out until the kids are asleep, right? Because otherwise. How those presents get there already, right? Those the presents under the tree lead the days leading up are from, you know, me and Sandy or re friend, relatives or whatever. So, so we get done doing all that, filling stockings, writing a letter from Santa, all the little things you do, and you know, by the time I think I got to sleep, it was probably close to one in the morning, right? And then go to sleep, fall asleep. I hear whispering, <laughs> still pitch black outside. I look up, it is four, I can't remember if it was 415 or 445. It doesn't matter. I mean, it was not time to wake up. 
<laughs> and I walk out and I see Izzy and Aerie, my two young daughters, seven and nine, looking at the presents and, and picking them up and whispering about them. Mm-hmm. And so I have to immediately like, what are you doing? Get back to bed. <laughs> you know, like chase them. You know, I'm trying to chase them upstairs yeah. well, without waking Sandy up. And so they get upstairs. But I think one or more of them came down every 15 to 20 minutes from then on for the rest of the night. Wow. Normally, the kids wake up. We but, normally, but why? I mean, they, they, they had seen that the presents were there from Santa. Why yeah. Why keep coming down? They're so excited they can't stand it. Oh, wow. That's And you'll see when Jack gets older. When kids get a certain age, I don't know what it is, but, you know, four or five or six or whatever. And they, they just, it's so exciting. They can't go to sleep. And when they do get to sleep, you know, they're going to wake up super early and they just can't. They can't contain themselves. <laughs> you know, and as a parent, you kind of expect this. But I was kind of hoping like a 6 a.m., yeah. you know, 6 a.m., not 4.15. Oh, wow. And not every 15. So I, I was up. And so then immediately... After I chase them, I walk around and I step in something gooey and gross. I'm like, oh, what is that? And it's like the cat, one of the cats had thrown up right outside her door. And the reason is, is the cats are eating the Christmas tree, the needles. (laughs) They're chewing on the damn Christmas trees, which makes them throw up. Right. So then I'm like, oh, gross. And then I'm hopping to the kitchen to get to the clean off my foot. <laughs> wipe my, and then clean off the, and then I got to clean up the goo. And then also I'm like, oh, this is not a great way to start, right? So then the kids wake me up every 15, 20 minutes. Or don't even wake me up. I don't even fall back to sleep. I just keep hearing them come down and chasing them back upstairs and threatening them. And we're not going to open until nine or whatever our threats were. So then... And I'm a, I'm kind of in a bad mood at that point a little bit. And Santa gets up, and I make the kids wait till seven because I was like, "Oh wow, Mr. Well, French." Yeah, we get six thirty, but maybe maybe seven, six forty-five. But it was because they had just woken me up over and over again. Yeah. And I said, "All right, well, I'm gonna make we're gonna make some coffee now, and make you know they're gonna be guys kept not what's listening." The, what's the family name of the Chevy Chevy Chase character? You know, uh, the is it Christmas at the? It sounds sounds like that anyway. That. You know, they did European Vacation. Family Christmas Vacation or yeah, something? Yeah. yeah. I haven't like seen that, that one. I've, you know, I've seen the, family, the first one a million times, but I haven't seen the, the Christmas. But yeah, so, okay, so that's not it. So we, so <laughs> I, so finally when I get up, I had, I, I put on a bathrobe. I got this brand new bathrobe Sandy got me, which I don't normally wear. Santa got you or Sandy? Sandy. Okay. Sandy. So yeah. I got this nice, thick, super soft. Yeah. And I'm like, right, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to get my phone, put my phone in, you know, because I can take pictures of the kids. Go sit down on the couch, and I'm like, this bathrobe feels a little wet. I'm like, what happened? Did I not get really oh dry? Oh my thing? god! And then I'm like, oh man, like one of the cats peed on my bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no come way. on, you know, you're sitting there. I'm barely awake. I'm on the couch. I find like all comfy position. Let the kids start up in their presents, and I can take some photos. And then I got cat pee on my bathrobe. So Christmas then, day. so then I like take it off. I, I like try and take it off without getting cat pee on the rest of me, you know, like on my shirt or my, so I'm like, and I kind of take it off and put it on the chair in the bedroom to hang it up. Yeah. And so then, and the reason they cat peed on it is because it's hung over the chair, but then the bottom part of it was on the floor. Yeah. Right. So, and then, um, uh, you know, I get up, I'm like, all right, so fine. I, I, and I get back, sit back down. The kids are losing, about to lose it. They just can't stand it, you know, cause now we're, everything pauses for another few minutes. Yeah. Get back up, and we start opening the presents and all that. And so then a little later, 
Um, Colby, one of the things Colby got was his hoverboards. Oh, those, you know? yeah, I love those things. Yeah. So it's like a it's a two wheeled like kind of Segway or something. Yeah, like a Segway, yeah, but yeah. without the handle thing. I mean, it's amazing. So Colby's riding around a little bit in the house. <laughs> And he's like, Dad, you got to try it, Dad, try it. But I'm like, it's cracking on. I'm not going to try anything, right? And so then finally, I'm kind of walking forth, back and forth between the kitchen. You know, we'd already opened the presents. Sandy's had made some um, cinnamon rolls. And I'm kind of like, all right, you know, kind of you know, sorting things out with her. As in, when are the cinnamon rolls going to be done? <laughs> and Colby's like, try it. We Come on, Dad, try it. I'm like, all right, fine. Like, I'm going to shut this kid up. So I'm like, all right. So we have right in that area in between the kitchen and the and the hallway to the door and the you know not the cat place. letter. Yeah, no, no. So <laughs> I go and I stand on it and I immediately just goes right out from under me. My feet go right out from under me, almost like as if you had gone on like black ice, you know. And you just whoosh. I mean, I go horizontal, three feet in the air, slam down on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> scared the crap out of my kids oh i mean my God. again colby's like has his head to my chest like, dad are you okay <laughs> he's like his hands on my head dad are you okay and the girls are like oh my god and sandy's like honey you know and i'm just going oh because <laughs> i hit my head on the tile floor and my elbow and my back but even worse my my ankle when it when it flipped up, it just it 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 hit and um, ru- or, or, or gashed across like the um, the cubby we keep our shoes. Oh so it's God. like it's like a bruise slash cut. It yeah. seems horrible. And so I'm in intense pain, and they're asking me, and I can't respond. I'm just like wincing, and I after about a minute of like the floor groaning, I get up and I hop back to the bed, <laughs> the bed, and I just lie down. And Kobe's like, Dad, Dad, what do you? I'm like, just. Bring me some ice packs. <laughs> I'm not doing Christmas. <laughs> like, they, you know, Sandy thought we had broken my leg or something. And so then, and I was just like, oh, this sucks. And so then Sandy comes in and um, she uh, she grabs the, uh, and she had taken the bathrobe to, to wash it. Yeah. And then she comes in, I'm lying there, and she's like, um, I found your phone banging around in the wash. Oh. I'm like, come on. <laughs> you know, I guess I'm usually pretty good about that stuff. I don't lose my phone or my wallet. I don't do stuff like that too often. But because of these all these extenuating circumstances and all this, this distraction and confusion and things. So my my brand new iPhone 6S, which is like a month or so old, is soaking wet. And I and because I was kind of in this state, I I, I made the Sandy dried off first. I didn't know if what how much how wet it had really gotten, and and instead of just letting it sit for a day or two and letting it dry out, I I mean she handed it to me and I'm kind of still wincing in pain, and I hit the on button and it immediately goes like warm like hot like you can oh, tell like it fries, yeah. fries. I was like oh great so I bricked my iPhone. <laughs> So that was beautiful. <laughs> I was just like, man, who peed on my Christmas? Jeez, <laughs> what a what a wow. What a start. But that said, it was um, it was still a great day. But it was just like all this, almost like a comedy where That's I good. was. It's not really fun when you're in the comedy. Yeah, <laughs> it's when you're watching somebody else in a comedy, and I'm just like, oh, what a what a brutal way to start. But um. So I could tell you about a couple of the presents, though. Yeah. So uh, one thing I noticed is I was like, this is the year where I, 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 I really, I told Sam, I was like, we are actually living in the future. 
I mean, it is 2015, 2016. It's not 2005 anymore. Yeah. So one of the things I got, Sandy, was uh, Amazon Echo. Yeah, we got one in the kitchen, yeah. Yeah, so that, it, you know, it's like this, you know, Jarvis kind of thing from the Iron Man yeah. and is is amazing. It, does, it it really does a good job. I can't believe I had, I'd never show that to you. No, you never talked. We, we we talked about it when Amazon first announced it like a year ago. I never told you I got one? No. Crap, I had it for like three months. Yeah. 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 It is amazing. It, it re they really are amazing things. Yeah, so it's like the kids talk to her <laughs> like it's a person. Yeah, yeah. They're, Alexa this, Alexa that. Thank you, Alexa, yeah. thank you. And she's like... And she says, you're welcome. My pleasure. It's my <laughs> pleasure. It's just weird. And, uh, and Sandy's like adding stuff to her shopping list or clear the shopping list yeah. or what time does this start or what's the weather or what's the capital, you know, whatever. It's amazing. It is amazing. And you can just... Say, play Christmas music. You know, Alexa, play Christmas That's music. That's what we're doing. We're and playing 80s. Cindy goes, <laughs> play, mu was it, movie theme songs from the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it was the weirdest thing. I mean, it's just amazing. And so... And Colby riding around in his hoverboard. Yeah. Again, that's totally from the future. Yeah. yeah. Um, he has his quadricopter. He's flying around. That's awesome. Oh, and, yeah. And then we have the... Um, and then the girls are playing the uh, Disney uh, Infinity, which is like this immersive 3D environment on the giant flat screen. And mm -hmm. I'm just you know, sitting on the couch, you know, commenting to Sandy. I'm like, you know, this is really... This is cool. Future. I mean, this is not even... This is not 2005. It's 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 really come along. There's the, the, and there's there's we're also on the cusp of a lot of other really great things like um, virtual reality is going to be big, you know, virtual reality, three D printing. Like they're still just totally well, three D printing is is definitely real. It's, it's not even, real. It's happening. Yeah, a lot of real. things are being three D. A yeah. lot of a lot of companies and they're in, in the research development and, and product development uh, departments use three D high end three D printers for all kind of things, printing all kind of things because you can. It's faster than having something machined in a machine shop, much less, you know, you're way before you're mass producing it and you're using like, um, you know, whatever, um, in, in mold injection, injection mold stuff or whatever. But um, like my father-in-law, he has this like really high end, like $5,000 um, 3D printer. Oh, nice. And it, he's... And he's using it? Yeah. Well, he is a machine shop, right? He, I mean, he has lathes and drill presses and mills and he has all that stuff. But he, so he, and he is an inventor. So anyway, uh, what else is next? What's, what do you want to talk about? Where do you want to go? Oh, um, uh, well, I'll just give a little up. A little, uh, well, I suppose the last show that anyone would have heard would have been a Justin update, so we don't necessarily need to go there. One thing I would love to do is to recommend a couple of movies on Netflix. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, An Honest Liar, uh, James Randi. Uh, I recommend that Who's movie. Who's James Randi? James Randi is a professional magician or was mm -hmm. a professional mm -hmm. magician. Uh, I think he started like really early, like in the in the kind of 50s. Mm -hmm. And um, he wanted to do the kind of stuff that Houdini did mm -hmm. and became extremely good at it and became an extremely good illusionist and mentalist. Mm -hmm. um, but What's a mentalist? A, a mentalist is someone who basically, it's not about magic, it's about pretending you can read minds and things like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he became really good at that. Um, but what he what he noticed was that, you know, like, for example, a church, like an, evang an evangelical church mm -hmm. where the guy will be wearing like a, head a headset and then he'll be pretending to know everyone's information and pretending to do miracles. Well, there was a guy like that called Popoff. And this guy became obsessed that he was basically using magic to fool the public. Mm -hmm. So he basically became like a professional skeptic and a professional person to, who would uncover 
scams like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's all kind of in the documentary. It's really interesting. So he uncovered like a bunch of really interesting scams and also was really obsessed with Yuri Geller. Do you know who Yuri Geller is? Yeah, you know. He, yeah, he's a guy who like Ben Spoon, Ben Spoons and things like that. And he was huge in the 70s. Right. And so this, and he was on Johnny Carson. He was like on Johnny Carson. And basically James Randi said, look, this guy's doing stuff that's on the back of like, you know, uh, breakfast cereal boxes. Like you can, you can bend these spoons. It's really easy to do these tricks. And so he went round basically trying to expose Yuri Geller, but especially what upset him was that Yuri Geller went through uh, a few months in Stanford Research Unit and they basically validated him. They said, he, you know, this guy's psychic. He can do this stuff. Right? Really? Stanford really said yeah, that? Yeah, Stanford. Exactly. That's Who exactly. at Stanford? I'd be S curious. The Psy, that, that basically they have a special Psy Research Unit, like a Psy, um, PSI uh, for like psychic research unit and 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 really yeah they really they, had that they, they really had that so i find that really surprising so then so then what he did so what he did was first of all he proved that you could do all of that stuff mm -hmm. right really easily mm -hmm. with magic but but with you know using using, using tricks, magicians using tricks, tricks not so then what he did was he did he he, he wrote this book basically saying you know ex exposing yuri geller and the book obviously people read it and a couple of kids who were 18 or 19 said look if you ever want to like prove something about this like i'll, I'll help you mm -hmm. so he basically set up this sting that lasted for four years and because they they got the same the same research unit got a five hundred thousand grant to do more research like long-term research about psychic capabilities like telekinesis and he got these two kids put them into the group they 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 basically two went college age students to, yeah like 19 19 yeah. to 21 or something like that and they there was something like 500 to a thousand applicants and these guys came out top because they were just really good uh -huh. at bending spoons. Right. So they came out top and they went in. And basically what, what he was saying is he just didn't believe that the research institute had the proper controls. A, they weren't enlisting the help of a professional magi magician. And B, they were just lax. Their, their methods weren't truly scientific. And he wanted to prove that. So he put these kids in there. And the, the sting lasted for four years. And basically these kids convinced every single person that they were psychic and that they were telekinetic but but it was kind of interesting because james randy was involved in it in that he would send look you should do this to stop them from doing any tricks so, so it, it's, it's 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 very analogous to how hackers will hack a corporation or something to show that they have vulnerabilities yeah so and yeah. and similarly the original hacker yeah well, a lot of the original hackers, right? Yeah. A, lot, a lot of hackers will do. They'll go and hack yeah. and they'll expose a vulnerability and then they'll contact the company and say, hey, you know, I'm a security researcher. A lot of times they're more like security research as opposed to hackers. Sometimes it's hackers. It depends on, you know, I guess it's kind of a, a gradation there between the two, but that's what will happen, right? But, and so it's, it's a, but the best way to keep yourself from being hacked is hiring hackers. Yeah. Because they're the ones who think like the hackers and say this, to stop a hacker, you need but to think they like didn't a hacker. To, to, stop a ma to stop a trickster, you need to hire a trickster. But, 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 the, but Stanford guys didn't know. So that's why it's called an honest liar because they didn't he was know. using deep deception to show, to, to get to the honest fact that Yuri Geller and mm. others were not real. Right. So, so, but, so these kids went inside they did these amazing things that that these guys had could not understand how it was done, so put it down to psychic abilities. Mm -hmm. And then the kids would, would send letters back to Randy and say, this is how we tricked him. Mm -hmm. So then he would write a mail, like a, a, a letter back to the research group and say, by the way, you should watch out for these. This is a way that they can trick you. This So each iteration 
it became tighter and tighter and tighter because right. he would give the feedback and then it would force these two kids to be cleverer and cleverer about the, right. trick, the tricking that they did, the different things. Right, and right. it lasted four years. And by the end of it, like it was really difficult for them to do anything, but they still found ways to amazing. do stuff, you know, really interesting stuff. It's amazing how anytime you set up a system you think is foolproof, the human mind is so innovative that and so creative that you can just come up with ways to work around the, the best one game any system you come up with the best oh. one was uh, like uh, there's a round wooden uh, disc in the disc is like a, a uh, like a small thin pipe and on the top of it is this like tin foil mm -hmm. like spinner mm -hmm. and then you put a big glass dome over it mm -hmm. and with your mind you have to spin it left or right mm -hmm. so the two so the two the, the, one, one of the guys one of the kids is telling the story about this he's like 45 50 now mm -hmm. he's saying so we're we're at the table and then all of a sudden like Bob's one starts moving and it's like spinning. And I'm like, how the fuck are you doing that? Like, how are you doing that? And so then, so then the researcher goes, oh, that's really good. Can you spin it the other way? So it's like, start spinning the other way. So the guy goes, the guy goes, I just need to take a restroom break with Bob. <laughs> so he basically goes up, goes up and like grabs him by the collar. It's like, how the fuck are you doing that? And the guy goes, you know what, after all these tests, I guess I just got psychic abilities. And he goes, dude, just tell me how you do that. <laughs> so like whispered in his ear and then they go both go to sit down at the table and now they can both spin it. Right, so what are they doing? Yeah, they don't say. They don't say? They don't, they don't say. The trick? No, they, they don't tell the trick. Why? I guess because um, I actually do have no idea. They don't tell any of the tricks in the documentary. Oh, that's disappointing. Well, you can go and find that out. Read magic books and things like that. I mean, yeah, but I mean, you think you'd want to at least show, like, give an idea of how some of that stuff was. They, done. They, no, they didn't say that. Huh. But uh, anyway, I thought it was it was really interesting. But especially what was uh, the other thing? Okay, so that was one great hoax that they did. Another great, uh, like you know, uncovering. Let's, like, let's let's move on. Okay, you want to move on to a different topic? Yeah, let's. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, I don't want to stick on the raising Randy for a half hour. Okay. Well, you said you had another movie though. Um. Well, well, just the main thing that I like about it was. Just just to quickly finish up about that, okay. is that it's so anti-magical thinking. That's what's really good about it. So if you if you, if you are ever kind of worried that you have some aspect of magical thinking, like I'm maybe a little bit worried about me. <laughs> like, I've always had a bit of that. Like, and that, and this that. really, yeah. I think this is the nail in the coffin for my magical thinking. That's all I'm saying. So it was really, really powerful for me. Yeah. Um, okay, so another great uh, Netflix documentary was called Slingshot about Dean Kamen. Uh, you know Dean Kamen, the creator of the Segway? Yeah. Yeah. So he is a it's it's an amazing documentary. I really really recommend it Slingshot and it's just about it's about him how kind of quirky he is mm -hmm. and the vision that he has for basically curing 50% of the world's illness by supplying clean water to everyone. Mhm. Mm so I saw him do a demo of one of his of some yeah. clean water contraption on one of the late night shows like 3 or 4 years ago. Yeah, so like they put in like it was like that's right sewage water or something and pour out water and glass of water out and he drinks. That's it what he's like, been working uh, on for fifteen years. He's he's like it's 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 going to be my twenty year overnight success. You know that's what he says. But um, but basically, the, so you, no, go on. yeah. So he, the the idea first came to him because he well first of all you just watch the documentary all the different crap that he's invented is incredible especially in the medical space and then this this water purification system just came out of. A medical invention like a dialysis machine thing that they invented yeah yeah which he, he, yeah he had done years ago yeah and he kind of realized wait that has implications for the whole planet right so so he originally he just thought that's going to be easy i'll just get these machines that but then the more he investigated it the deeper that it went until finally like wow how are we going to get this distributed and that was when he did the deal with coke so basically did you know that he did a deal no. with coca-cola mm -hmm. so basically he realized that uh, the 
the company that he figured would be the best company to distribute these machines to every little village in the world is Coca-Cola. Because they're everywhere. They're the only company that's everywhere, right? They're everywhere. Well, and that also distributes Coke machines. St- yeah. Machines that are probably a similar size, right? Right, right. They so, have guys, they have truck, big trucks, they, and they have, have forklifts. For, and, and they have a need and, for clean water themselves. Yes. Right. right. Interesting. So he, so he basically goes to the CEO of Coke and they do a handshake deal. He's like, I will invent something incredible for you. You know, like I'll solve your your problems with your fountains if you help me with my machines. So they did it, and and that's where all these new Coke machines come from. They're all invented by Dean Kamen and his crew. You know those those ones where you click the buttons and it just instantly gives you, you know, cherry Coke. Have you ever seen those ones? It's like got a computer screen, a touch screen. Oh, and it has I haven't like, seen one. No. Yeah, there's one in like, ch- for example, Chutney has one right there in uh, Pasadena. Okay. But you just go in and and like you can just choose. Th- there's like I don't know, 250 combinations. Basically, wow. you know, so you can just have anything like <laughs> that's impressive. <laughs> and so he so he invented that and they've they've rolled that out to, you know, all over the US and that's already done. And so Coke are now returning the favor and starting to roll their machines out. But there's more into, in, information than that. But well, you know, um, one thing is interesting about the uh, the way he took the solution for the dialysis machine and mm-hmm. and uh, extended it for the sort of clean water concept. Yeah, it's it's. Because I've been reading, um, I don't, I, I got, one of the things I got for Christmas, the books I got for Christmas was the Princeton Companion to Mathematics, which is like this thousand page book on like, it's encyclopedic book on pure mathematics. And um, which, by the way, none of the people probably said that sounds really boring, but I was like, <laughs> I forget to, I, when we go to visit Sadie's parents for Christmas break, I'm like sitting here in the, in the big uh, lazy boy chair reading my, my book. Anyway, uh, the um, the interesting they were talking about was like how mathematicians approach problems and and it's not always like you go and you say here's a problem how do I solve it a lot of times you say I have a solution I have a trick I wonder what other problems this trick will work on right and Feynman would do the same thing you know he would um he would he would have like a whole list of unsolved problems that he was kind of working on. And, and he would, when he kind of ran out of ideas for it, he would just put it in the file. And then when he'd come learn a new trick, he would go and try this trick on all these different problems that he's had over years. And everyone's going to have a big hit. And um, I was kind of, so it's very similar to this, right? He had this sort of solution, this template. And then it's like, oh, this applies to another problem. You know, sometimes the problem comes first, some of the solution, but a lot of times it's this existing trick. You're just extending something a little bit more yeah. and reapplying it to another domain, hmm. right? Um, I was kind of thinking this. I was actually this morning. I was I was thinking about when I'm talking to the kids in my math class uh, about you know learning new problems and this or that. And you know sometimes you know when you you see a solution to a problem or a proof, you're like, how the hell did they figure that out? Like that's <laughs> just like I would not have come up with that solution. But the reality is, they they it's a trick. It's just yeah. a trick that somebody happened upon and that you can apply to lots of things. You know, and so, it, but it's so easy in math and physics and other things that there's these, if you don't know the trick, it just seems like just yeah, raw crazy. genius. There's yeah. no way I would ever think of this, no way I could ever do this. It's like, trust me, when you learn enough of these tricks and all these problems. You can just match sideways, basically. What's that? You can just pattern match sideways. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. It's, yeah, exactly. There's, there's you, when you know enough different types of patterns of, 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 of solutions, different tricks, a lot of these new problems will are vulnerable to those tricks. They fall right in. You're like, oh, like I could see how the problem's at. It's clearly this. Boom. People go, oh my God, you're a genius. You're like, 
I'd like to think I'm a genius, but the reality is I've just seen a lot of problems, you know? Um, anyway, so it's just that very similar way to that. So Have you heard of um, FIRST? What do you mean? Basically, FIRST robot, uh, like robotic competition. FIRST Robotics? Yeah. yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, so he, he founded um, this, this in 89, basically uh, something along the lines of a catalyst, but more... You know, like we used to do with Catalyst, but just... Oh, the first robotics competition. Yeah, competition. It's not a company, it's a competition. Yeah, competition, Dean yeah. came and uh, has some involvement with them. No, I no, know. he founded it. Oh, he, he found founded it, it oh, in 89. Okay. And the, the, basically, the, the champ... Like, there's there's 400,000 kids involved. Yeah, yeah, they do the Mindstorms. Are those Mindstorm robots? They do Mindstorms, yeah. They have different levels. So you start yeah. on the Mindstorms, then you, then you progress to the next level, then you build mm -hmm. your own. Mm -hmm. And this event, it's like... It's like Super Bowl size. Like... It ends up with with the final being in Atlanta, in a seventy thousand seat stadium mm -hmm. that is kind of basically full, and it's just crazy. Like they they just have the different the different games in the middle, and mm -hmm. like it's like wow, that is fun because he he it kind of irked him that no one knew any names of any famous engineers, so he wanted to just change. In his words, I wanted to change American culture. <laughs> mm -hmm. So basically, he he wanted to try and make it so that kids wanted to know the name of engineers. Yeah, you know, I don't know if we have a robotics team at our school. But that's something that needs to exist. I mean, th this this competition is like if you ever wanted like NBA level kind of I don't know just approval or, or just fun like this is the one to do. And you you would build a team that would kind of beat these guys. Like yeah, I bet you would build a team it'd that would do really well. It'd be interesting to I, I you know. I'm going to talk to Doug. He's the um, buddy of mine who runs MV Code Club and ask him for, if they're doing anything with that. Seeing the seeing like 50,000 people in a stadium cheering for like robots that are shooting basketballs through hoops or like flinging frisbees or mm -hmm. like Mindstorm robots. Like it's like that is really inspiring. So I noticed something. You some of the movies that you tend to to recommend, at least the ones that I remember you recommend, tend to be documentaries. You seem to watch a lot of documentaries. Man on a Wire is something you've talked about all ton of times. Right. And these, I mean, wh so you're just, are you, you you watch a lot of documentaries? Is that what you really? I mean, I, I mean, maybe just re I I just over Christmas, if if there's one thing maybe I did was I I had a re-examine of Netflix, you know, uh -huh, uh -huh. and just I mean I have I have been adding a lot of interesting sci-fi stuff, but I don't know. Documentaries always does kind of capture my attention because it's something interesting it's okay. like you know what I'm, it's going to be applicable to my life so this isn't a wasted hour and a half i see you know yeah 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 that's why well speaking of a um <laughs> speaking of a wasted uh well much more than an hour and a half um <laughs> one of the things that i uh i i started doing over the over christmas break is i started playing this uh sort of this game uh -oh. um and i don't normally play games and I don't play, you know, uh, the first-person shooters, and I don't, I don't play Candy Crush or whatever. I, I really just avoid them because I there was a brief period in my senior in college where I spent like a month or two just every time I go it's, to it's addictive. Every time I go to the computer science lab, instead of doing my problem set, I started playing Tetris as just a warm up. Yeah, and then the warm up would last an hour and a half, and I go to <laughs> class or go to lunch or something, and then I like I didn't get anything done, and and then that, that was just a disaster. I mean, yeah, and then there are there are months of my life that are just and in, in when, when they're just missing from when I'm playing Command and Conquer or uh, or Doom, you know, when, yeah. when, when that stuff first came out back in the 90s when Phil and mm -hmm. I had our first startup. You know, <laughs> we would get in and be like, all right, let's just a warm-up game, you know, <laughs> Command and Conquer. And then, and then you'd be like, oh, that was that was bullshit, you know, we're, you know, let's play one more. And then it would be lunchtime and you'd argue about it lunch and they'd be like, all right, we've got to play one more. And the next thing you know, it's time to leave. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, so, so I try to avoid them. But anyway, I, there was a post that showed up, I think it was at Hacker News, and it went to a Reddit discussion where this guy had talked about how he got his app in the App Store and how things took off and everything, and sort of basically his experience developing a successful um, iPhone game or whatever. Yeah. iPhone and Android game. And it's called Hex or Hex Fever. And yeah. it's sort of like this, there's this diamond of hexes, hex, little hexagon spa, place, uh, um, spaces, slots, and then you have these different shape, um, three different shape um, um, little pieces, and you move them onto the hex board. Like right? te- sounds like Tetris. A little bit like Tetris. Um, and when you get a row or diagonal or column all lined up, it disappears. And so I, I was like, because I, I was curious what game this guy's talking about, and, and so I... I just opened up the HTML page. There was actually an HTML5 version of it. So they start playing it and whatever. And again, the addiction starts. <laughs> you know, but it's Christmas break. So I, you know, and I'm pretty good about it. Like I, it's like I'm doing it tends to be like when, not when I should be doing other things. You know, the girls are like, the girls got, my two other girls got mermaid fins. So they've been for Christmas. They they just love. What mermaids. did you call them? Mermaid. Mermaid. Fins. Mermaid. They're like mermaid little fins, things yeah. that. So they want to go down and go swimming at the pool, which is insane because it's been Crazy. like fifty years, fifty yeah. degrees outside, and but they would not let up. So I'm like, all right, fine. But there's a hot tub down there, so they want to go sit in the hot tub with her fins. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll go down with you. And so I would just sit there on my little iPad. Yeah, yeah. And I'd play. So like, all right, well, this is a fine time. I can be down there with them and just whatever, relax. So I started playing it, and. I've gotten so good that I could almost play indefinitely. <laughs> I am almost at godlike status. Not quite. So last night was the worst. So, you know, Sandy, it was like the pizza came to order pizza. She's like, all right, uh, we're going to watch uh, an, uh, an episode of The Flash. Every, our whole family likes The Flash, which is, I, I recommend that. It's a pretty good, pretty good show, especially if you have kids. It's kind yeah. of a, it's kind of thing that it's, it's actually watchable as an adult. And kids, it's, it's, it's something that kids can enjoy. Yeah. Um, so we're doing, but it's like, sometimes when I watch these shows, it's, it's good, but I sometimes have a hard time focusing on it for an hour. Yeah. It's great. I need a little more stimulation. So I'm like, so I said, all right, you know, I'm just gonna grab the iPad and I'm kind of, kind of play this where we're all sitting on the couch, which is fine. And I can, I can easily follow the, the complexity of this storyline <laughs> while I'm playing it. And I think that was at like eight. I finally lost. <laughs> I wanted to hit 100,000 points. <laughs> I finally lost at 98,666 at like 1251 oh, wow. in the morning. Sadie had long since fallen asleep. You know, because after you put the kids to bed, Sadie's like, well, let's watch. Episodes. So you played for four hours straight? Well, yeah, I guess what about, uh, almost like, five. Can you, can you pause it? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, so you, you can go, go slot, for yeah, breaks, so you right. go, Yeah, yeah. So um, I, had, I had previously hit a high of 93,000. Hmm. And I was like, damn it, I'm going to get 100,000. And so, um, and, and I start getting cocky. I'm like, I just can't lose. It doesn't matter. I can, you know, and I was like, as long as I don't get too cavalier and, you know, and it, it's a combination of being cavalier and unlucky, you know, yeah. if I get cavalier and just like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, if, if I take too many risks and I get a long string of unlucky pieces, then I can lose. <laughs> so I'm getting there. And it's like saying he's asleep and I'm just still sitting there. We, we had watched like two episodes of The Bastard Ex- Executioner, which, by the way, it's a pretty good show. Right. It. And then and then just like these dumb biographies of evil come evil or whatever. But I'm too <laughs> distracted with us to even change it, you know. And so I'm sitting there like playing it. And unfortunately, I get 
a phone call at like 1230, 1245 or something, from the management company that they needed to move my car because one of the units in our condominium complex had a backup and the, and the pipes underneath their unit was right over where my car's parked because their, park, their parking's underground. Yeah. So I had to go move my damn car. So I come back up. And I'm just kind of out of it a little bit. I'm already tired. Oh, man. And at least I'm blaming it on that. Yeah. <laughs> because it just took me out of it a little bit. And I think I just was kind of tired. I'm like, all right, I only have like 7,000 more points to get. I'm just going to kind of blow through this. And then I just got a little, lost my focus a little bit. And I lost 98,000. I'm like, come on. If I hit the 100,000. Do you have like to, that? do you have, oh, God, you're going to have to start from scratch. Yeah. Because I, I, now I have it in my mind that I need 100,000. Like 100,000 is. Does it have like a, a like a high scoreboard on, on Apple? Pl- you know, friend center, game center. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how good I am relative to other people, but if you can keep playing for five hours straight, I'd think that's pretty good. I would. That have guy imagine. must be. Who is this? Did you? Who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? Thousand, he just played five hours. Because <laughs> <laughs> Sandy, Sandy, <laughs> what she she. So when I told her this morning, I said, "Well, bad news. I died right before a hundred thousand. She's just shaking her head. She's like going." <laughs> How many hours did you spend? She's like, all right, well, I don't, you know, she's like ready to give me the. You're the, banned. You're she's banned. A, yeah, she's about ready to give me the talk. And I'm like, wait a minute, aren't you the one who's always playing Candy Crush? I mean, yeah. it's like the meth addict wagging her finger at the heroin addict. Right. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. You know, but she's like, yeah, but I can only play five games before it shuts off because he does, he has like the free version. Right. And, uh, but to this, it's funny. It's like. Did you buy it? No. Well, because I, I downloaded. I, I went to the app store and I, I downloaded one on one of the free versions, but it was just all these in-app purchases. I'm like, screw that. I'll just keep playing the... Um... So you're playing the online one on the iPad? Yeah. Nice. I'm, I, although I need to stop. I want 100,000 just to hit the 100,000 and then be done. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to play one-hour spurts because it takes about twenty five. It takes about an hour to get 25,000 points. Oh, okay. So you're, so you're really like, okay, mental focus, focus, focus. Okay, go. You know, <laughs> and you'll do that for a I, I don't. Ha- I'm good enough now that I have to be that focused. But I just can't totally lose focus and be tired, you know, and get unlucky at the same time. You know, that's what happened. But it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're like the arcade and there's that one guy who could just play like Pac-Man or Galaga forever, you know, and you were just like watching him in amazement that they could just never lose. You well, <laughs> you, you better like by next, by the time we do a show, you better. Oh, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll probably get it. This, better have your 100,000. The question is now is I, I'm not going to have much time. Yeah, you know, and I don't think Sandy, I think Sandy's gonna give me the frown face anytime she sees me playing it. So, <laughs> well, the, the the real difficult thing is if it's extended over days, like to stop a kid from like going in there and like moving to a different browser page or. Well, it's a, it has a tab, so the kids and the, and the girls just don't even they don't mess with it. I don't okay, fair enough. That's oh, good. and it saves it in a cookie because my it's run out of power numerous times and and shut down but it's just the same and it knows be. its status that's it pretty is. good i'm like that's pretty slick yeah nice oh but speaking of movies i have a yeah. movie I, we just saw this is not a new movie but uh about a year or so i think came out maybe yeah. two years ago is gone girl that's a great movie with um ben affleck ben yeah. affleck directed and i believe uh it's his whole thing and then i he's, think he's reese spoon i saw happen to see was like a, a producer yeah i happen to see that which is weird but um as it, messed up it's good. It's good it's the way good. That it does it. As good. It's good. It's a lot twist. of twists. A lot yeah. of good twists. It was like yeah. multiple twists. Because I thought I had it figured out. And then it, it, it flipped on me, you know, again and again. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. So I highly recommend watching Gone Girl. It was funny because Sandy, Sandy, we had it. We have like three or four movies, maybe more than that, on, our, on the DVR. You know, just buried in all the other TV shows and series that we plan on watching, but just 
never seem to get around to. Um, and uh, this is one I want. It was like the Budapest Hotel. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Twenty Two Jump Street, which I want to watch. I think it's that's funny. funny. Yeah. Um, and Gone Girl. There's a couple others, and, and but she's been really wanting to watch this. Yeah. Oh, and the thing is though, I kept punting on it. She's like, "You want to watch Gone Girl?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know." And because the name was it the name. It just doesn't sound like. Well, it's it not. just seemed kind of dark. It just seemed dark, which it was. Yeah. And I just was never in the mood to watch a dark thing in two hour movie or whatever. And so we're watching it. And it's like, I'm like, so what message are you sending me with this, this movie? <laughs> I'm like scooting away from her. I'm like, girls are scary, man. <laughs> Especially smart or clever girls. Yeah. You know, you do not want to get on the wrong side of a clever girl who, who might hold a grudge because she, uh, she can ruin your life like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Black Mirror, I mentioned this to you the other day. That's another one to watch if you like twists and dark. Yeah, you've been talking about that a long time. And that's, again, on my one of my lists. There's... There's, a there's few. not a lot of it's just it's just three episodes a season. I think there's seven episodes in total. Oh really? Yeah, there's yep. like two seasons and a special. Hmm. But it's good. Interesting. I'm trying to think what we watch. The uh Bastard Executioner is pretty good, although it's brutal. Mm. I mean it's kind of game I guess it's probably game kind of took some inspiration from Game Game of Thrones, maybe. Of course, Walking Dead. Well, that's my favorite show. I that's mean, my show. So did, I always did, ha- I always have like one show. Like originally it was X it was like Fringe or Lost or X Files or you know what's the name of the lead guy in Walking Dead? Andrew Lincoln. Yeah, no, I know his name, but what's his his other name? Oh, his name in the show, yeah. his character's name. Um, Rick. 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 Yeah, the Rick. Have you? Uh, well, Andrew Lincoln. Rick. Have you ever seen him in early British TV? You know that's. Yeah, the I way- saw him in I Love Actually. Yeah, like that's the way. That's the, like he he did a big a big series about being a teacher. Like he was just like a really kind of soft, fluffy guy. You know, like like he was in Love Actually. Yeah. It was really weird when I, when I first saw it, but I saw Love Actually the other day. Well, and first like, you tell me you couldn't watch it because you couldn't get that version of him out of your head. Oh, like did you, I tell you that? Yeah, yeah. you just it was not believable to yeah. you. Yeah, know? it's really weird, but now I do believe it. Now I, now it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. I, now I can't believe the, the early version of it. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> he's so, like, he's really in the character. Yeah, that's... So, um, anyway, I just... Uh, let's see. Oh, another... Oh, here's the other... Here's the, here's the, the show that I want to recommend. Okay. Homicide Hunter with Joe. Oh yeah, you were telling Kenda. me about this. What's it what's the vibe? What's the what's Okay, the it's deal? it's in its like sixth season or something. But what, what does it do? Like what like what does it mean? So there's this retired uh um, Is it real real it, or fiction? Uh, no, it's real. It's so this guy, Joe Kenda, was a um a homicide detective for like twenty nine years. He solved he had like three hundred and ninety seven cases and solve like 379 i'm like all but like you know 25 of them or something mm-hmm. so it's incredible clearance record and so the way it, and it's it's the way it goes is he's it, it shows him it cuts to him kind of narrating it and then it cuts to like it happening and it has like a guy playing him and he's like so we got a call da, 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 and we walk around oh, so it talks so, about his old cases that he did clear cases and it and it cuts back to him and he's kind of real like just He's this old guy, and he has this very uh, non-expressive face, and he just says things straight up. He's like, which and it, which are great. I mean, he's the coolest guy. He's like, he's like a Morgan Freeman cool. Okay. So you're like just looking at him like I can't wait to hear what he says, you know. <laughs> and he'll like, well, who say it's like, um, he's like, he's like, you know, so there's this, this pretty crime scene, and he's like, and then we find this guy 
cleaning his car in a par- in a parking lot by 500 feet from this dead body, which is strange. He's like, and that's fine, except you're 500 feet from my uh, dead body. Now you got my interest. <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> this is another one where he's like in this apartment, and there where this you know this guy had been killed. Look at you know an hour previous or the morning of or something. He's in there with his with his some with some police guys and they're walking, you know and the crime investigating you know, and there and then the doors open and then um this guy walks in and he's like. And the guy's like, "Who are you?" And they're like, "Uh, we uh, we're the police." And he's like, "Uh," and he's like, "Who?" And like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm uh, I live here. I'm a roommate." And you know, da, 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 you know, and and they're like, "Well, sorry to inform you that your roommate uh, dies, has been killed." He's like, oh my God, whatever. And so then the landlady comes from home. She's like, "What are you doing here?" To the guy who walked in, you were supposed to. You're not supposed to be here. You were like, and and, he, and he's like. And, and he's like, and then he looks at me. He's like, why are you looking at me? She's the one talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he didn't want me to know that. <laughs> it is great. I mean, I just love it. And I, it, it was great over the, over the Christmas break. They had a marathon, a homicide hunter at marathon. And it would cut to him. He looks at like a Christmas tree and his like red Christmas sweater. And he's like, uh, he's like, I hope you're excited. I am. No, he goes. No, he goes. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. <laughs> total dead face look. Just deadpan. Right? Oh, it's great. And um, so I've just, I've just discovered this. Obviously, this has been around for five or six years on the ID channel, right? It's like one of these things that has like it's all about like you know crime investigation or whatever. And um, it was just late one night, and I'm just flipping around. I'm like, what is Homicide Hunter? And uh, and I just was just so much better than any of the other ones. And this guy was just so great. And so then I told Sandy about it and she's like, all right, whatever, you know? And then I turn on a Nerdist podcast and he has an interview with him and the, and the guy, uh, Chris Harwick, who does Nerdist podcast, he's the host of, uh, of Talking Dead. Oh, right, 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 yeah. And he's like, he's like, you tell, he's just funny. He's like, oh, my, my fiance and I, we fall asleep every night to the homicide. Every night we watch homicide. <laughs> he's like, why am I watching a show about murder every night before I go to bed? <laughs> he's like, well, we can't stop watching it. And, uh, I'm, and I'm like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's that good. And does, does Sandy like it as well? She hasn't watched it yet. She's not into it? She's okay. not into it. I just, uh, yeah. I listen to the Nerdist podcast and I've been having to catch up on some work the last few days, but keep my... Keep me sitting, seated, and not walking away out of the office. Yeah, I well, I listened to a ten episode series of interviews with him f- from a podcast called Detective. From the uh, and um and it's actually you know him talking about not to, not cases from, from but, the things you've described so far. It sounds like it's not that hard to be a detective. Like you just got to be observant. I think it's really hard. I yeah. think. I think being observant and unbiased and letting the facts lead you and, and being uh, and uh, being very analytical and I think those things are hard. I think most people are not very good at them, but uh, you know, I probably I think sometimes you know it's funny that just reminds me of a, of something I was reading on Medium about um, a designer saying designers should be like astronauts, and he was basically talking about ast- astronaut training and how you're just you're just trained to. You you go you go over emergency scenario situations so often that that becomes the default reaction rather than running away. So when a really really dangerous situation happens, you're just like, okay, 
let's open the valve. Let's look. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Let's investigate this. So you just methodically walk through decision trees mm -hmm. and there's just no panic and no fear in your voice. And to kind of illustrate it in the blog post, they showed the Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks, mm -hmm. you know, when the, when the shit's hitting the fan, it's like, oh my God, what's happening? And then they played the real one and it's just like, yep. I was just looking at this, just looking at that. It was just like really chill. Completely different, right? Yeah. Which wouldn't make for a very interesting movie because there's no drama, right? <laughs> yeah. you, need the, you need the actors to express the drama. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of a little bit like what you're saying. Like he, he obviously needs to keep a super cool level head. Yeah. You know, yeah. doesn't get too into the, into the emotions. Yeah. It's, um, so I, I, you, I, I sent you a link to the podcast interview, which you should listen to, mm. um, to get a taste for it when you yeah. get a chance. It's, it's, um, oh, I'll put a link to it in the notes as well. Sure. But it's, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's one of my new favorites. Nice. Um, so. Um, well, you, you bring up, so I got, I got a couple more things, but sure. Uh, well just, um, you guys know from the last show spoke, the, uh, voice, uh, voice to text application is dead, um, just because of technical reasons. So, um, as a little side project, I've moved on, uh, with actually a part, someone that you introduced me to called Ryan, um, who is a commodities broker. And, uh, so he contacted me out of the blue yeah, because of that one blog post I wrote Four years ago oh on high trading why or I whatever. Quit, why I quit my... Why I quit algorithmic trading to web startups. I, yeah. get, I get emails all the time from that. Still, people who are trying to start a high frequency trading shop or want to get into it, and they email me and ask me questions. I kind of think that's the case study in, in blog posts. Like, if you, if you want to create a blog post that gets you a crap load of emails from people wanting to work with you, study that blog post. Because, like, I guess it's the, it's the fact that you say you don't want to do it anymore. That's also quite alluring to people, and that's why they send you emails. Wait, this guy just doesn't want to do this, so he must be, you know. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a confluence of a few different things. One, it's um, algorithmic trading or high frequency trading is is this is sort of mysterious. It's kind of world. sexy in its own right. It's yeah. sexy and it's mysterious. People don't talk about it because people yeah. who are doing well do not want to advertise to make you a lot of money because they do not want to invite more competition. Mm. Right? So everybody's not trying is trying to keep a low profile. Secondly, they're not. Um, you know, you're not allowed to talk about what you're doing based on your NDAs with your company and everything like that. So you can't share, mm. you know, anything that's working on it. So nobody knows what's working or how they're doing things or anything like that. Um, and so it's that's so I think that interests people. Mm. You know, people so that's are why they get there in the first. And place. you make a lot of money. The people who are successful make a lot of money, and I know some of them. They make a ton of money. And uh, but that and, still doesn't mean why people send you emails yeah. for writing that blog post. Well, it's like, it's 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 like it's an area where there is interest, there's intrigue, right? And I'm coming from this world that nobody talks about, mm. and I'm saying I've done it, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing this other thing, and people are like, "Wow, you used to do this?" You know, I I don't think I think it has less to do that I'm not going to do it. Maybe just but me reflecting on the, in my experience in the industry, my thoughts on you it. You don't think there's a reverse psychology aspect to it? No, I don't think so. I think it's just that's uh, it's an, and that's not a that's incidental. I think the it, issue is that I I'm a uh, a veteran of that world and I speak in a sort of honest, open way. And people are like, hey, this guy seems like a guy I could talk to and right, right, he, yeah. he could work with, and he seems to know a lot about this, and I want to know about this. Maybe this guy will talk to me. Anyway. Not, I mean, that so many leads have come come to you yeah. from that. I mean, like one a week kind of level. Yeah, there's weird. There'll be periods where I'll get two in a week, and then I won't get to for like a month or two, and then I get. And we're a bunch. talking four years of this. Yeah, I probably I've probably gotten contacted by thirty or forty or more people at least who've contacted me specifically because they 
want to either get in the industry or they're starting a company or they're raising money for it or they're or they're launching a high frequency trading desk or they're trying to hire someone to build some high frequency trading tech for their proprietary trading company or whatever it is. Yeah. Or and they want me. I mean the people who are trading in China and India and the US and Europe. It's crazy. Anyway, so Ryan Ryan contacted you and you had a, a chat with him. Yeah, just a short chat. He he contacted me and he's like, hey, I have this idea for this broker yeah, an application that would be, be geared towards brokers and so it'd be a combination of someone who has experience in the trading world and has experience in sort of web tech startups so he contacted me and i said well look i don't have any uh time to do anything like that i said however i have i, I know someone who might be interested and so then i sent him to you yeah so uh <clears throat> so we we started talking and you know given my experience about not validating things <laughs> i basically said look <laughs> let's validate this you know like let's let's really validate this so he spent some he spent we did that. We we did the whole kind of proper validating customer interview thing. He did it. I didn't do it. Yeah. And um, you know, that's it. Looks like that there could be something there in in his idea. But it. But he was even he himself was taken aback by this is not going to be as fast growing as I thought it was. Like the, I, this is possible, but it's going to take like the next five it's years. It's so to, easy to convince yourself to fall into the fantasy that everyone is going to love what you want and everybody's going to want it immediately. And then when you actually go out and talk to people, you realize that that's rarely the case mm -hmm. but you may be in the same right general vicinity the same general vicinity of something that could be that but you gotta go and validate yeah absolutely so just just by way of comparison there's another little idea that he's validating which is a subscription manager basically a tool that you can manage all of your SaaS apps and that that off the bat doesn't sound like oh, why would you need want that but for example with my company it, it was this case of when the when the startup was founded, um, there was a credit card that was given to everyone, and everyone would like sign up to different SaaS apps to make their day job better and easier. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, the financial controllers like, well, what the hell are we spending money on? What what are all these subscriptions? What's going through the card? There's no track of it. So it's just that that thought, and he's going to be speaking to a few customers to I'm validate. I'm glad you're validating, but it's funny. It has nothing to do with trading anymore. Yeah, it has nothing to do with trading, and just the reason is because, uh, like he, you know, we're just exploring this possibility of a of a partnership, and he's really into all the stuff that I'm not into. You know, like yeah. sales calls, you know, marketing, yeah. all that kind of validation. stuff. Validation. Yeah, validation. So that works. You know, that's fine. Well, that's that's a, a one really key aspect of a great partnership yeah. is you have complementary. Skill right. sets. You know, if you both want to do the same thing, it's a problem. Um, and uh, you, you definitely need someone to do that stuff. So I have a, so in, in regards to trading. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So I was talking with um, Phil. So we should, we're going to get Phil on, I guess, in another show pretty sure. soon. Um, we were just having this conversation yesterday, and he was talking about how one of his resolutions for the year is he was going to focus more on getting a better return on his investment. He's been very conservative yeah. with all his investments. It's like in... CDs or whatever, and I think he's like, all right, I need to like, if I'm not gonna have a job and I'm gonna live off my savings, I need to get a better return than like two percent or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think it's partially been sparked by you know some investments that I've made, and he's just you know, and I'm I'm like, look, I'm not saying you need to be like taking a big chunk and throwing it into like a startup like I did. You know, I understand that's a pretty risky move to make, but uh, you know, you could you could take a little more risk. You actually want to get it to return. And he started to come around to that. And he's, so anyway, we were talking about it yesterday. And I said, you know, one idea that I have that I've been thinking about is because um, actively trading yourself is time consuming. And um, 
unless you're going to dedicate yourself to do it, you're probably not going to do, be that good at it. Um, and and, and you, so you don't like you and you have to do a lot of research and you have to be kind of have a knack for it to to, to expect any kind of success at it. Most people obviously do not. Um, so one idea I had is you remember that company we interviewed a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, it was called Collective Two, and it was a yeah place where you could yeah. go and and you could you could create an account as a trader. And you could log all of your trades either through an API or manually, you know, especially if you're like a low frequency trade, like maybe you did a trade once a day or once every week or two. And, and um, you could call your, you know, give your strategy a name and it's basically a description. This is the kind of trading it is. And um, it track the system, the, the site tracks all your trades and all the risks and ward P&L, everything about it. And so you could say, hey, I like the way this guy's trades. I'm a subscribe to his trades. And so you pay a certain monthly fee to subscribe to it and then you can essentially base it. It's effectively, and then you set up a real account and the, um, and give your credentials to collective two and then it'll automatically trade for you yeah. based on his stuff. And so it's like, you know, what'd be interesting is finding like 10 of these strategies that are relatively uncorrelated and creating a portfolio of them, um, that should dampen the, the the volatility the the risk from collective to yeah because you know one of the basic principles of of diversification or of modern portfolio theory is that you know you can get much better uh risk reward uh much better risk reward if you have a portfolio of stocks that are low have low correlations than you just have one stock or a couple of stocks right so it's like if, if you had two or three really high performing stocks but if they're all correlated like apple and google or something you know it's like well tech stocks tend to kind of move yeah, yeah. together or whatever like they're all going to go up they go down and all of a sudden all of your stocks are doing poorly and you lose a ton of money you're gonna like freak out right and one of the big problems is is that you may say well i believe in these things but if like half your account loses value you may all of a sudden lose your ability to I think on. that that is a good idea and because and, it's already it's already there it's happening on the system you're obviously going to have to pay money you, know? you have to you have to pay for each one yeah to subscribe to each one and I was looking because some have had really good uh risk reward um characteristics and really high profit factors and some of them were like you know massive returns some had they but they, you have to stomach some pretty good volatility yeah and you might you might lose your your account might your max drawdown might be 30 percent so if you put a hundred thousand dollars in there, count on being down thirty or forty percent. Well, because I was going to say that um, uh, along with that, just if you just look at what David Gartner does in Motley Fool, mm -hmm. which is basically you have to join their club, mm -hmm. but everything is public in their club, and I think on five years he's up like three hundred percent. You know, like he gets and it's, he, it's only about twenty stocks. Mm -hmm. There's like twenty main picks. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, I, I was telling Phil that. I might I might start looking into into that. I mean, it's gonna take mm. a little bit of time to sort of because you know there's these companies that are called fund of funds that invest in a bunch of different hedge funds. So they you know you you know they might get a pension company or or or, or whatever big institutions that need to put a lot of money into the market. And instead of the people who the 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 controller, the CFO, or the finance people at that pension fund or at that institution going and picking individual hedge funds they go to a fund of funds company that then they pick all the individual hedge funds make sure everything's uncorrelated and high quality and da, da, da. it kind of has to be relatively low frequency though right no 
Well, if it's, well, I wouldn't call it high frequency. It's not like they're in and out, you know. Yeah, that's uh, what I'm 150 saying. times a day, but um, you know, they may be they could they could easily do 10 or 15 trades a day. Oh, really? Trades, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because it's automated. I mean, it, it it's it's completely. You know, they they have an API for traders. So if your sit hits the trade and your you know your stuff could be in in the market in <laughs> under a second. I mean, yeah, again, that's but that's not really high frequency. Right. Um, that's intraday trading. But um, I just thought so. It'd be almost be like running a little uh, fund of funds. Yeah. You know, mini you know micro fund of funds. But some of the some of these. Uh, I was looking, I was kind of just, I spent about 50, after mentioning it to Phil at lunch yesterday, I went back and I just did about 15 minutes of research on it. And um, some of these strategies, you know, they have, they have really good high profit factors, you know, but they, have, they do incur some volatility. But the ones that were doing really well, I mean, you had to pay like $300, $400, $500 a month to subscribe. Yeah. So you better be putting a certain amount of capital mm-hmm. At work, because if you only have a ten thousand dollars in capital, it's not enough to overcome the, you know, six thousand dollars a year you're going to pay in fees just to subscribe to it, right? That makes sense. So what he's going to put in? So if he had like a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand, if you put like a, you know, so you'd have to, you'd kind of have to do the math and figure out, okay, so what's the what's the expected return from each one of these strategies? How much they're charging? Um, how much money am I putting in the return I can expect and see how the thing works out. So it would take a little bit of research. I was telling Phil that you'd, you'd probably want, because all these strategies have all the entire trade histories available. So you, mm. can, you could download their strategies and run some simulations and find the best portfolio that, mm. that optimizes for, for uh, risk reward and um, minimizes correlations and all those kinds of things. But then I'll figure out, okay, the expected return versus the monthly price and all that stuff you could kind of run out. It sounds to me like if you're going to do that, you wouldn't want to do a hundred thousand in one strategy. No, no, no. I'm going to say yeah. if you had a hundred thousand overall, right? Right. Yeah. So let's say that I'm going to put you know, hundred thousand or two hundred. So if you, so you wouldn't you'd never use one of the five hundred bucks a month ones because ten thousand isn't enough, and that's ten and you wouldn't want to put more than ten percent into one of those strategies. But if you had like a million or two million that you were putting into it, then yeah, it would make a lot of sense. To have like a hundred thousand and one. Wow, well, Phil's. Ri- yeah, anyway, I'm not yeah. saying Phil has that much money, <laughs> but but the other one I was looking at was um, Wealthfront and Betterment. Those those sort of automated, so they call them uh, robo advisors. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, there's wealth, you know. So they kind of do everything. I mean, you're gonna get much lower returns. You're not like trying to make fifty or hundred percent return in mm. a year. You're, you know, or two hundred percent. You're looking to make, you know, eight, five. That you know, that you know, try with decent. You know, you're trying to trying to beat the market. Or, or match the market with lower risk or whatever. It's, it, I mean, I think you can kind of, I think it, I think what it does, the impression I get is it goes through and figures out what your risk tolerance is mm. and, and based on your risk tolerance and you know, your capital, what's the best thing. And then it's just, it's a much lower cost way to trade than putting it into a mutual fund mm. and, uh, and you know, which generally have higher fees and things like that, or going to an advisor like a Raymond James or something. And they have, you have your, guy who calls you up and says, hey, we're going to move in here. We're going to do this. It's just like cuts out all the bullshit and puts all that extra costs and just does it, you know, automatically. Be cool if you could try that experiment out with like just a, a thousand. You could. You know, like on some low level ones. Well, the, uh, are you talking about uh, Wealthfront? Or, I mean, no, uh, Collective talking, 2, the Collective oh, 2 concept. Yeah, you need more than that. Well, you can write it in simulation. They have a simulation. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a good right. idea. Yeah. You could do it that way. I mean, I, a, lot, like a lot of things I think, I think it's good to, you'd want to experiment. Start out and say, okay, You'd only want to put money money in there that you are not going to be upset if you lose. Complete it. risk, yeah. You're gonna be yeah. like, okay, if you have, 
maybe 10% of your investing capital. Right. You put it something like that. So I always thought it was a great idea. Is like you're shooting to make 10% return from the 90% of that you're, that's more conservatively invested. And then that 10% is the high risk stuff. So if you lose it, it basically gets, most of it gets recaptured. Right. That's just good, by what nice. your expected growth, yeah. you know. So, because you, you obviously don't, if, I mean, assuming that you have a fair amount of capital built up, you don't want to like, I mean, it'd be great to double it, but it would be horrible to lose most of it, right? Yeah. So, you, that's something I always keep in mind. So, of all my links, this is the one I've been most excited to uh, talk to you about. All right, let's have it. So, basically, an, this is a blog post from an ex-biologist. <clears throat> I don't know how you become an ex-biologist. Maybe he used to work as a biologist, and now he does. Like he's a yeah. I mean, right you know, there's like biologists who used to work in a lab, and then they move it on to software development or man, you know, tech management or something. Actually, make some money. Okay, here goes. For decades now, I've been haunted by the grainy black and white X-ray of a human skull. It is alive but empty, with a cavernous, fluid-filled space where the brain should be. A thin layer of brain tissue lines that cavity like an amniotic sac. The image hails from a 1980 review article in Science. Roger Lewin, the author, reports that the patient in question had virtually no brain, but had an IQ of 126. An IQ of 126. Mm -hmm. First class honors degree in math. Presented completely normally along all social and cognitive axes. He didn't even realize there was anything wrong with him until he went to the doctor. And then on further research, this is something that happens. Like this is not a, a, a once in the world, you know, once in a lifetime thing. Mm -hmm. People have no brain and act completely normally. So, well, they don't have no brain. They don't have as much brain. But right? well, well, I mean, we're talking like that. You know, I'm showing you the images right now. We're talking 5%, five percent. Really, that little dot? Five percent of a brain. Huh. That's amazing. <laughs> and I, I, I bring it up because it's just like, wow. Like the 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 <laughs> the plasticity or the the, the adaptability. The, the adaptability, the like. Five percent, and there's many, many cases of people who just. Are there really? Is that yeah. what they talk about? Yeah, that's what he's talking about. People who and and they just function like normal. Humans. I read something recently that had like someone had a big chunk missing from their brain, like a quarter of their brain or a yeah. third of their brain was missing, and they were still they were still able to function fine. That like honest degree were, in maths, honest degree in math. That's amazing. Like 126 IQ. So. <laughs> Where was the the brain tissue was just like floating in some amniotic? No, 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 no. The brain tissue is just like a thin layer going around the skull. In the, in this instance, it is. In other instances, there's just a bit of brain poking out the side of the skull. And it's just it somehow it just connects the neurons. And there is enough there. There's enough there to make a fully functioning, in our human terms, brain. Well, you know, it's funny. It's <laughs> it, it just goes to show you that like. You know, I guess we're talking about like my brain's filling up. There's like I'm running out of space. Like there was, <laughs> I have some professor who's a joke that like he wouldn't want to lo learn his students' names because he didn't want to waste the brain space. Right. You know, he wanted to use the brain space for more important information as if you're going to potentially run out because nobody is, as far as they can tell, nobody's run out of yeah, storage I mean, that, that's, space that's in the brain. Like if, if, just, if just a tiny fraction of a brain is enough to give you an honor in math, <laughs> I mean, what is the rest of the brain being used for? Right. Well, it's just it's just probably like really inefficient. Apparently, I mean, apparently our 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 brain has, uh, yeah, it's just much more. The brain tissue is much more efficient than than we, I guess, expected. And so, if that's the case, well, you know, what's kind of interesting is, you know, if if that's possible, 
then you could engineer people to have brains like that and be just efficient, but they could consume many fewer calories to exist. Because I, I think the brains, your brain requires a lot of calories. And I, th yeah. I think I'm, a, I'm a reading that, I don't know how well proven this is or not, but that the theory in evolutionary biology is that humans evolved, the brain, our brains became much larger once we invented fire because then we could cook the meat and we could therefore extract a lot more calories mm. from meat and other things or something like that. And uh, so therefore, our brains grew based on that. And then, because, because big brains require a lot of, a lot of calories. But it's, it's especially strange because if you think about like that's smaller than like, I don't know, a, a monkey brain. Way like, smaller. Like that guy's brain right there. If it's just like a tiny little fluid around the edge of your skull. But it's enough to be completely human and have human consciousness, which is like that's interesting. It's like you'd almost you know when, you, when they're trying to when neuroscientists are trying to understand how the brain works, you'd almost want to study that yeah. and say, okay, well, we have a lot less to choose from. It's like it's like <laughs> it, oh, it's funny. It's like so <laughs> earlier today. One of the presents I got my uh, youngest daughter, Ari, was this giant puzzle. Actually, it was five five puzzles that go for, that, that go along with the uh, the t the movie Frozen. Yeah, they just love lovely, Frozen. Lovely, yeah. And so it has like in in this it had like five hundred, three hundred, seven hundred fifty piece puzzles. It's a giant. Yeah. And um, so Sandy and uh, and Ari were working. They weren't. She just loves puzzles. She <laughs> loves puzzles. Loves Frozen. So it was like it was like the perfect present. Yeah. Um, so working on it. And they got to the point where they got all the faces and everything that was like really identifiable that you could figure out. Now it's just like these big kind of two areas that were like mostly ice. And it was really hard to look at colors. It was just, yeah. she had to just look at the shape. shape. Yeah. And it was brutal. I sat down for like 20 minutes and I was trying to help them. I, I found two pieces and I was like, okay, if we could just isolate <laughs> which ones. So I was trying to figure out how can we isolate this? I'm like, you know, at this point we have like 50 pieces. It might be easier to just like try every single piece against this one slot. And at least it's going to be annoying, but at least we, leave, we reduce it to five by five or seven pieces. That might give us enough that the rest is easier. I mean, could anything be more of a first world problem than a puzzle? <laughs> yeah, <just laughs> kidding. Like, it is. That's funny. It's like <laughs> you creating this problem for yourself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But it's it's funny, but it's like you want to uh, you want to reduce it down to only what's different. Only you want to reduce the this problem as many possibilities. Let's reduce it down to the smallest set of things that make it work, right? Which is sort of the essence of science. You just a reductionist approach. I mean, maybe it could. I mean, obviously, just knowing absolutely nothing about this, but just my first thought is maybe it's just the way that it's all interconnected in humans versus the way it's interconnected. It, maybe it's just a better neural network, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it like, because the reason why I say that is because all, you know, anything that you hear about brains is like, oh, this happens in the hypothalamus. Oh, this happens in the this, this happens in the this. Well, if it's just like one flimsy layer of like meat around your head, like mm -hmm. there is no hypothalamus. Right. I mean, how the hell did that reconfigure itself to be a general working brain? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's amazing. I gotta read that article. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Do they have any other? Maybe any other uh, interesting points about it, or uh, discovered? I mean, just the, is the guy, guy still alive? Uh, the, oh, the, I th I believe that that guy is still alive. Yeah, 
Um, and I, w one thing that I did think was, I mean, you can you can take this, you know, in consideration. But I thought a possible title for the show, "No Brain Required," <laughs> might be interesting. <laughs> That's good. That's um, good. <laughs> but anyway, um, he goes on to say that you know um, this seems to contradict pretty much everything we think we know about neurobiology. And uh, yeah, there's there is there is more stuff to it, but I'm not I'm not going to. Yeah, that's one of the key things about you know when you're trying to understand a problem is like a lot of times you think you understand it, and then you have this outlier, and a lot of times what will happen is people ignore the outlier because it doesn't fit their model, but the outlier is really what's telling you the truth, mm -hmm. right? If your model if your model does not account for the outlier, then your maybe your model isn't so useful after all, mm. you know. Um, oh, they, so anyway, just this might be interesting. Um, after uh, this, this study was done five years ago to look at, you know, initially discovering and thinking about that. And now they're doing a new study and the authors are advocating research into computation models such as small world and scale-free networks. Hmm. That's how they're thinking about things. Networks whose nodes are clustered into highly interconnected cliques, while the cliques themselves are more sparsely connected one to another click like is in click yeah click yeah okay, click. so i guess that 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 must be creating the virtual hypothalamus kind of thing i guess yeah. that's what they're, they're well there's, there's definitely been the case that people lose a part of their brain that was normally responsible for doing taking care of some something but then another part of the brain takes over so you, someone the part of the brain that handles you know taste is destroyed but then the part that handles your visio auditory aspect uh responsibility takes that over and you know repurposed well, okay here's a piece the point he, he's saying the point the point of all this though is that under the right conditions brain damage may paradoxically result in brain enhancement just well like there's there actually has been a case that there's there's been cases where um i just I don't know how to happen to see this with so a guy who um he had brain damage and then afterwards became like the sort of this uh uh, mathematical savant another guy became like this incredible artist there's lots of people who have developed um, these capacities after having severe brain damage that's crazy. I mean obviously that's the exception not the rule normally you have yeah, brain damage yeah. like you're kind of messed up you know I mean people turn into you know I have all kind of problems you know but uh, which 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 brings me back to the movie by James Randi I don't know. You didn't want to talk about it anymore. Okay. No, I'm fine. But, just... but the the it's the, this is like the when I say the kind of the magical thinking, like the idea that we have a soul seems. I'm not. See, that's, that's I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm just saying like it just seems so unlikely when you when you consider all this biological stuff that we're talking about now, right? You know, so that that's why. That's the thing. I was where I was like, I was like, an earlier version of you would have said this. Therefore, the spirit must exist. <laughs> <laughs> See, the spirit must exist. Like, okay, I'm not sure we're ready to go there, but no, no, no. It's I think the opposite. Like, it's right. it's I'm moving the opposite. Like. Yeah, but yeah, four or five years ago, you wouldn't have. You would that's have true. You yeah, would have no, it's true. I'm glad you've. See, you've grown. Well, you've grown maybe. this. You've grown through the life of the show. Well, unless any of you people are like into into the the soul and, and that kind of thing Does in it, which case i've not grown i've ungrown <laughs> uh, i think they need to listen to more episodes <laughs> so um, anyway that's that, that there, there's more to that article but i i would recommend no, people yeah. read it and obviously you're going to read it so that's good i thought you'd like it so i want to talk about uh the uh math class yes please math academy let's have an update so, although i've i've had two updates about it and but i want to hear the update You've heard two of, oh, yeah. because we've become person, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, so here I'll just, I'll keep it short. Um, so my, the class I teach, yeah. um, my sixth graders, 
So we finally started the last week before Christmas break. So one of the things that had happened is um, the principal and the district felt that they needed to give a test to the entire middle school to give any kid who might have the I don't know, capacity or ability to, 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 to do well in the class to test into it. And so they gave, so there was this big thing. We had to figure out what test to give. And then they had to, and then they had to send a letter to all the parents and schedule a test and give the test. And the test had to go be sent off to UCLA to be graded. And then they get the results back. And then there's all hemming and hawing to figure out like, okay, so who's in and who's out and what qualifies you and what doesn't. And, you know, that took months. Yeah. Months. And so that, so it was extremely frustrating because obviously I wanted to start the first week of school. <laughs> And the entire, we lost the entire fall, but we finally started. Yay. We finally started. Um, we got this amazing classroom, which is like in the brand new uh, building that we, that, this, that had, the room is huge and it's like all the brand new whiteboards and the cool, I mean, it's like a really cool looking room. Nice. And um, so we have, uh, unfortunately, we one of our kids did not test in. Oh. Of our seven kids. So I had 14 kids last year, two dropped out before the end of the year because they just didn't want to do, they didn't want, the work, work was too much for them and they were, having, they were struggling. And so we, had, we finished the year with 12. Uh, one moved away, cut, and the other rest went to different schools. Because going to sixth grade, you know, you can go to a different school, middle schools, you know. Was that kid towards the bottom end of the class anyway? The kids who dropped? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, the kid who didn't test in. Yeah, so I was worried. We had a couple of kids that, kid. yeah, okay. that I was like, you know, you just don't know. I mean, they 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 can keep up, but it's you know, it's I, I was worried, um, particularly because they're slow, mm-hmm. and, and and not slow in that. I mean, they're smart kids, but they, you know, it's a time test. It was like fifty questions in forty-five minutes. So you don't mean slow in understanding; you just mean slow. They in need do the damn problem. Slow like, in dealing with the problem. So yeah. like you'd walk to them and like. And one of the girls' name was Natalie, and I'm like, Natalie, you know, we're doing work in the class. I and, know Natalie; she was in Catalyst. Yeah, you know Natalie; she's yeah. a very bright girl. Yeah, and uh, she's yeah, I love her to death. I'm friends with her parents, um, but she's just pokey, right? You know, she's the only one, but she's one of the pokey ones. And so, like last year, when I would sign, you know, I'd hand out like I'd hand out the work that they'd finish in class, they would do in class, and then whatever they didn't finish in class, they have to do at home. And five minutes after they're supposed to be starting, I walk around, and she hasn't written her name on. It. I'm like. Just thinking about other like, stuff. What are you doing? And then she writes her name to her, or she's just kind of thinking, and, you know, and she's just, it was at a casual pace. I'd be like, Natalie, so what'd you do this weekend? She'd be like, looking up. And then she just kind of, well, you know, it's just, and so I'm like, oh no. So this test is could be a problem for it doesn't her. Doesn't work for those kind of people. Because yeah. she's not going to have the time to get through it at the pace that she works at. And she, and she did not do well because, and I, you know, I, who knows exactly why, but I know that was a huge factor. Mm. And so she tested in, which Sandy and I were just really disappointed about because we just wanted her in the class. Um, we, my, my kids have been friends. Our kids have been playing together since preschool. Yeah. You know, at the park, I was sitting around his doctor's dad to many, many afternoons at the park. He and I just sit for hours talking about stuff. Really great guy. And um, so, but when you set a standard and, you know, you can't, he felt like you couldn't make exceptions. And we were trying to, we were petitioning, say, hey, can we grandfather in or something? But they were just not going to do that. 
Um, hmm. Because the reason for doing this is say, hey, we have to be fair. Did you get any new kids? Yeah, so we got three eighth graders and one seventh grader. Hmm. And the seventh grader did really well. So four of our kids got the four top scores by far. So they were kind of like the lead pack. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, he watched the, the Tour de France and he got that lead group. That yeah, had. yeah. Like they were there. It's they by, were all, you mean by fall? Like, yeah, they were clustered. And then there was a drop off. And then there was a seventh grader, hmm. which I was like, who, who are you? <laughs> hello. <laughs> you didn't know this. Because <laughs> I saw the list of our scores and I'm like, hello, you know, and Sadie were like, we need to talk to this girl. Like, how do you know this much? Yeah. And then uh, a couple more of our kids intermixed with a couple of the eighth graders. And what she, was the reason she knew that much? Was there some, some, I trick? asked her, I said, Alana, how do you know so much math? She's like, well, I just want to know what it meant. So I looked it up. And oh, I'm like, yes. well, did you know all the material on the test? And she's like, no, but some of it just wasn't really hard to figure out when you thought about it. <laughs> I'm like, good answer. Okay. All right. This is this is a very bright young lady. So I was very excited to have her in. And the other kids, I mean, I didn't know. I knew one of them. He was a, he's the son of, of, of a teacher who taught um, – um, both my girls, yeah. second grade teacher, and I knew he was very bright. I think he like, skipped a grade, and his older brother and his or is very bright, and his sister very. I mean, it was just a family of smart people. Okay, and so anyway, so we got him in, and um, it was funny the first day of class. Um, you know, I said, "All right, so I don't know what everybody knows, because first of all, we haven't done any math since May, so my." The sixth graders have probably forgotten a lot. They're going to be very rusty. And all you new kids, even though looking at this assessment test, that was back in September, and you guys are currently in algebra or integrated algebra geometry, so you guys learned a lot in the last two or three months. So let's see what you can do. So I said, all right, everybody, can you, how do you solve this problem? How do you solve this type of problem? And Sandy's like keeping track of like what people know and don't know. And like who can solve absolute value problems? Who can solve systems of equations? Who can solve trig? You know, so we're going through that stuff. And... um it's funny that the sixth grader all sit in the table and they're all like cocky as hell. <laughs> they're all like, oh yeah, this is easy. Oh, they're all like kind of loud. And, and they're, you know, we have this giant big room, so a lot of space, but they're all clustered at one table. And like Nicole is kind of, kind of lying across half the table, writing down. They're all kind of like hanging out and they're all kind of, it's boys and girls, but they're just so confident and comfortable with each other. And the eighth and seventh graders are kind of like, Kind of quiet, like what? What, what is who this? Who are these kids? Like, this is freaky because they're the ones who set the curve in the seventh or eighth grade. Yeah, and and they're really just sixth grade. He's cocky sixth graders <laughs> and all this math. And I said, all right. And I told him, I said, look, guys, ignore ignore them. It's like you you guys are gonna catch up. Don't worry about. Don't pay attention to these knuckleheads, you know. And uh, you know, and uh, but it was it was funny. Um, and it was fun. It was super exciting to be in there. Hey, I, it sounds like that seventh grade could be, could like... The seventh grader? The seventh grader could be like ahead of everyone because if she is just like making this stuff up, if you're actually tutoring her, yeah. it sounds like she could rock it, be like a rocket Yeah, ship. Sandy's been talking, she's like, you know, I'm really excited about her because we have her for two years. Eighth graders, it's like, I only have yeah. her for five months and we're yeah. going to do what we can um, and we'll probably, they'll be, make a big impact, but it's not like this Alana we got the rest of this year and all of next year, so she'll be really good. Um Especially as she also is demonstrating a certain amount of um, uh, her initiative on her own part. Yeah, yeah. As well as I mean, it's just yeah. like a, a sort of initiative. Um, so uh, that was funny. And then also the first day, one of the um, and this is something I want to talk just a little bit about too is uh, one of the one of the sort of college students who's helping write questions and stuff. Um, she's actually older. She this girl. Um, 
uh, name's Nina, just graduated with her uh, master's degree in physics from Caltech, which means she's smart as hell. Is she, she's your question editor? She's one of the editors, yes. One yeah. of two editors that I've hired, and I'll talk a little bit about that. So she's, um, you know, whatever. She, she went to undergrad, got her undergrad and her master's degree in, in physics from Caltech. Yeah. Super bright. Um, and she's, and uh, I mentioned to her that she could stop by the class sometimes she wanted to, and she's like, and it turned out she, she, the first day, she's like, oh, can I come? And I was like, I think so. I don't even know where class is. So yeah. I'm like, just be in front of the school. So she came in and she sat through the class and she was, she, and like, so what did you think? She's like, that was amazing. She's like, <laughs> I can't believe how much those kids know already. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? She's like, yeah, it's really cool. And so she's going to, um, she's going to come and help out sometimes. Cause like Sandy had mentioned to me, she's like, you know what? I can't do this every day because she's like, I have the young and healthy gala coming up and the PS ring event. She's like, I have a lot of work to do and I can't do it here every day. And I'm like, well, it's fine. And, I'll, I'll, on days that you can, I'll kind of just let me know and I'll see if I can get Nina to show up. And just having a second person there Great. helps because we like to have kids walk around and help That's the kids. nice. So I'm just super excited. So the first day, first day I just went through all the list of just to kind of figure, get a sense of what people knew. And where were they at? Um, the, the, you know, the seventh and eighth graders did know some things. They didn't know systems of equations. Um, they, I don't think they had solved absolute value. Um, equation of absolute value stuff um there's some things they didn't know as well and my kids n knew that stuff pretty well they, so they, your kids kind of knew that you more than the oh the yeah guys. oh, oh yeah. for sure for sure okay no question i mean so that was like okay well i guess we're gonna have to do, go over some of this stuff um but the second day i'm like all right we're gonna do something new today i'm gonna teach you complex numbers so i taught them everything that you learn about complex numbers in high school in one day <laughs> which is usually like maybe a five day, maybe a week in your, for, for pre-calculus pre course. I yeah. It's like, what is one day? And it's like, what's an imaginary number? How do you add it? What's a complex number? How to add and multiply and divide complex numbers? What's the argon plane? Oh, was ne was Nina the, the second yeah. day? No, 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 she was not. Yeah. And they're all just cranking them out. And by the end, I was like 15 minutes. I'm like, good. All right. So good. congratulations. You can do, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's just so much fun to go that fast and also so i mean obviously the kids that are in the class are my were the best kids that we've had mm -hmm. these are the most motivated the most kind of resilient the sharpest and how did the seventh seventh and eighth grade kids do with the what is it called imaginary number what was it complex numbers complex numbers about the same everybody right. at Ukoi, i think it's bit it's, it's the same that's awesome so yeah so I, I mean my my goal for the end of the year because i only have i'm gonna try and do two things i'm kind of two goals I want to get them to be able to, I want to finish all of pre-calculus, everything up through pre-calculus. So if they can take the, you know, essentially the math level two subject exam, which is essentially a pre-calculus exam, I'd like to see how well we can do on that. Because that's everything up to calculus, but not including calculus. When, when will I be able to learn math using the platform that you're making? So, interesting. Um, I think maybe by the summer it'd be ready for... Because I, I want it so that I can start like exploring other stuff that I need that basis. How, mm -hmm. how long will it take me to do? To Once you've built it, how long will it take me to get enough math under my belt? What do you want to know? I just want to start exploring stuff like electronics and, um, you know, signal processing, things like that. Well, signal processing can get pretty damn, that's going to be a lot of stuff. I mean, so, but one thing that's cool about the way I'm building this thing is that you can say, I want to know this topic. Yeah. And it'll build a tree of prerequisites so you can just do only the prerequisites for that. So it's yeah. not like, oh, well, you need five years of math. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, actually, like 85% of that has nothing to do with it. Okay. Or 90%. So you can just do the 15%. That's cool. So rather than saying, well, you want to know how to do, I mean, four year transforms or something? It's like, well, 
you know, sign up for five oh, years Fourier of math. transforms? I, I do want to know that. Yeah, well, yeah. It's a lot. But is that, the, that's the way complex. the system is work, it could probably be really interesting. Maybe it would only take you a month wow. of building up all the material. Because, From nothing. Yeah, because... That's a, a lot of test case for you. <laughs> a lot of stuff just doesn't apply. It's just not yeah. necessary to know yeah. that, right? You know, it's like teaching someone enough code to say process a, a, a you know a form or something is not like all of coding. There's a ton of stuff you just say. That's all you ever need to know. Yeah. Okay, well, it's not that much. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm working on the system itself, and I've also built out this entire um, sort of. Uh, authoring tool you log in and you can add questions and edit and delete and i built a whole like github style um approval system and you submit and i either say put a fix this or i accept it and you can edit it and get diffs and uh, all that stuff how many questions that have you how many people do you got working for you now well what i did is i as i got about 12 kids from you know pcc and occidental and azusa who wanted to do it and caltech i think you know nina zekislano from caltech who expressed interest in doing it and um i said all right here's everyone gets three hours to start with you just do three hours and then i'll review questions and i'll decide if i think it's a good fit or not and then the problem is i've had not had a chance to go through all the questions mm. um because I need to fix a bunch of stuff with the system first and then Christmas break and then a bunch of other work I had to do and I've been out of town. And so it's so I have to jump back on that this coming week. How many questions have you got now? Uh, six or 700. Nice. But a lot of the questions that they've created are kind of not quite right. Yeah. They're just, they're not wrong. They're just not quite at the, they're just little things wrong with them, you know? And... I think what I'm going to do from now on is that let's say I do a topic, you know, called multi uh, dividing complex numbers. That's a topic. So complex, the complex numbers I talked about might be actually five or six topics. Mm -hmm. You know, introduction to complex numbers, adding complex, adding subtracting complex numbers would be a topic. Multiplying, dividing complex numbers, absolute value of complex numbers, graphing complex numbers, cycling through uh, powers of i. Those would each each of those would be an individual say topic. I like to keep things very small. Yeah, like literally, like read half a page of text. And then boom, you're doing questions. Yeah. Because that way I can find out when things are very granular, then you can be very efficient about about determining what people know and don't know or need to know and also being able to prerequisites, right? Yeah. So what I'm going to do is when I create a topic, I will go and create like five or six model questions at different levels of difficulty or different ways of asking it and say, just clone this change some numbers, change some, you know, variable letters, you know, just mm, mm. subtle changes. Because when I when I put it out to them and say, oh, just write a bunch of questions for this topic, they were just kind of going off in La La Land. Right. And right. I was like, well, look, I remember this is the basics. algebra one and you're asking this question like it's, you're talking to a pre-calculus. I mean, it's like way too hard. Or you made, they would make stuff too hard or they, they would use um, material that came from topics that would follow it. You know, like, like you can't like this is a chapter two topic and you're asking you're you're involving techniques from chapter seven. You can't mm. do that, you know. Mm. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, it's sense. my fault because I am expecting a little too much, I think. And I need to really just it's it doesn't take me that long to write half a dozen good questions. But then it's like I know they're exactly the kind of question I wrote. Here's the, I wrote the explanation. I wrote the, they're not thinking through the big picture in the same way. They don't. And, yeah. and it's so it's hard to read people's mind. Yeah, you, might, you know, so so the system 
this our, my class gets back started on Tuesday, so I need to put some finishing touches on. I'm going to be cranking on all day tomorrow to get it ready for uh, for Tuesday because then I want my kids doing their homework on Tuesday night. Awesome. And so I'm going to be writing questions like right the day before for those topics. What about the uh, district rollout? What's the news on that? The district. Oh, right. Um, so we went through this higher. I mean, I, I'm just going to compress this down to like a very short description of what happened. Um, but I went around a bunch of colleges in the area, Occidental, Caltech, Azusa, PCC, whatever. Um, spoke to some classes, got about 101 kids sign up. Which is kind of amazing. Yeah, so that that worked. I now you mean hundred and one kids to sign up to I'm be sorry. tutors. They gave me their email address, name, phone number, and said that they were interested in serving as a, you know, a uh, student instructor. Yeah, in in, in any one of the schools in the this district that you're right. How many schools are signed up for the district in the district? Six. Six schools. So so your little side project, your little science fair project, is now rolling out to six schools in your district. Right. Which crazy. is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So um, Sandy and I, you know, participated in the hiring process. Did great. I mean, mostly it was run through the district. I mean, um, their HR department, everything. So, you know, it wasn't like we had a lot of say in a lot of it. I mean, which is a little frustrating, but, you know, it's, what are you going to do? It's for, so when know. do they start? Well, they've hired, they sent out letters to the hire. I think hired like 10 or 12 instructors. And... They, uh, I guess, contacted them, and now they got to come in and get fingerprinted, and those fingerprints have to go in the Justice Department and be approved because you have to background check some people who are going to be in a lone room with kids. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so... Um, when are they going to start teaching, though? That will probably happen, unfortunately. I mean, that's gonna that process is going to take like a month. So we're not going to wow, get a whole... It's just, it's just really slow. But but then don't they have to do the same test in all of those other schools? You know that the test. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know what. I, I really don't know what they're going to do for determining who's eligible for it or not. I, I really haven't. Because none of that. them would have any of the training that you've done for your kids. So somehow, well, no, they're, no, they're all starting from scratch. Yeah, they're all starting the from scratch. Grade, they're all starting basic pre-algebra. Yeah. But but what you need to do is you need to put the kids in there who have sort of demonstrated. A, you know mastery of the math that they're doing in the normal class mm -hmm. at the very least yeah you know if you can't multiply two fractions like you can't do this right your your, your basics aren't even there yeah so basically they're finding kids who but it's also like a gate program which is gifted and talented so kids who have scored a certain level an iq test I see. that but that in combination with having uh consistently scored at as advanced on the standardized math Tests it's gonna be interesting, do. yeah, to see where they just pick. So they'll probably just pick them just off based off the the records of what they've all. Yeah, which done. is how our kids were picked. In, it's like the initial; there just was no yeah. record of it. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. So that's that's that. I mean, I'll have more to say about that, obviously, in another couple of weeks. But um, right now, I'm just focused on my class and getting the uh, system really up and and functioning. That's awesome. Which I'm super. I have this like I. I have the super madness about it. I can't stop thinking about it. I just want to <laughs> the work on super it. madness. Yeah, I just. I mean, I for a while there, I was waking up middle of the night. <laughs> I'd wake up and I couldn't go back to sleep because I started my mind started racing, you know, on it, and I just like so. Yeah, excited I remember about you telling it. me. Yeah. Oh, and interesting. I um, Colby. Uh, yes, was it yesterday? We were at lunch. I think it was yesterday. Or did a couple of days ago? We went to lunch, and I just I haven't asked him. I said, Colby, so what do you uh, what do you think you want to be when you grow up? What do you think of these days? He's like. Mathematician? 
<laughs> I was like, really? Wow. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Or maybe a physicist. He's like, yeah. Or that's maybe awesome. design rocket. So he's like, yeah. I'm like, the fact that he would even say mathematician, I'm like, that's pretty cool. Because I don't really talk about that. I don't yeah. say mathematician. I mean, my assumption is that he's more engineer. Um, He's more geared towards engineering, building things. Than you know, to just... funny you mention that. Um, there are thousands of jobs available in SpaceX. Yeah. If you look at the uh, jobs board. Are there really? Thousands. Yeah. I think Colby's going to end up in SpaceX one day. So I told him, I said, here's what you want to do. Because he wants to create his own company. Here's what you do. He wants to create his own company. You right, go, okay, of course. <laughs> go up to getting a master's degree. You got to get at least a master's degree if you're going to do something that technical. I don't think you have to get a PhD. You get like a master's degree in like aerospace engineering or whatever is relevant to it. it. You know, then you go, you do internships in the summers mm -hmm. and go get a job at like a SpaceX or a SpaceX competitor. There's some actually some smaller companies that do some cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Smaller would probably be better because you could try to do more stuff. And you go spend three or four years, five years at the least, getting in there and really learning how to do that stuff. And then you go start your own company. He wants to start his own company. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's a total entrepreneur, right? He's totally mentally That's like funny. there. So what it's, not that, and it's not like I'm sort of proselytizing him, you know, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to work for anyone. I, don't, I never say anything like that. I just... When he asks about MV Code Club and different things, I explain to him how startups I mean, that, work and shares and how that you invest. was a big part of the of what Paul Graham was saying in his post about fragmentation. Like, re like was the fact that you know in the seventies the pinnacle of success was working for IBM. You right. know, was being but and 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 the idea of starting a startup was oh you know that was the that was the low hanging fruit that was where you were not going to make any money that was if you weren't good enough to work in IBM. Not, not, that would be called what you low hanging fruit but that was kind of yeah that's not the right it's term like the that, kind of you... penny penny pickings kind of concept, okay right right but now it's the opposite like now it's just because i don't know is it computers that have made it available but like you can you can build startups and you can create companies like facebook that take four years to get into the billion dollar mark whereas that used to take 60 years you know yeah i think I think that there's been a lot of examples that people can look at now. Mm. It's not just like, oh, there was Microsoft in the 90s. Like, you know, there was like one company you could think about. It's like there's a ton of companies and they're happening and they, ha and they happen fast. Fast, fast. And they yeah. come in nowhere and it's just like there's just an ending stream of them. And they're mostly started by young, very young people, people in their 20s and early 30s. Mm. And so they're like, they're, kids come to college, it's like, well, why can't I do that? That seems like a lot more fun. And you can make a lot more money. Than well, so have. if you go back to the 80s when the yuppie came about, this is another point that's mm -hmm. made in the article, that seemed like incredible. You know, all of a sudden, 20-year-olds have some money. Right. But now, like, 20-year-olds are, like, ruling the roost. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, like, in technology, at least in the technology world, obviously there's a lot of, like, there is, there is sort of, I mean, not just Silicon Valley, but there are people who are in the tech world, especially, you know, um, you know, mobile and web and all that kind of stuff. That's not, the rest of the world does not work that way. Right, right. You know, um, so there's a ton of people who are educated out there and they don't make very much money at all. That's mm -hmm. a big problem for a lot of people coming out with, with liberal arts degrees and tons of student loans and they're just, you know. I mean, there's the, the, there's the cliche of working as a barista, but, you know, maybe they're not working as a barista, but they're they're struggling. They're mm -hmm. not making that much money. Um, or, they're not, or they're underemployed or whatever, but the... Uh, you're right. In the in this technology space, you know, yeah, you can make a good chunk of money. You can make a lot of money in your by your mid twenties. However, it caps out. You know, you're not going to be making 
That's you if know. you're working for someone. If you're versus, working for someone, that's yeah, if you're working for something. Versus right. doing your own startup. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, power but, to Colby. But there's also the thing too is it's still sort of like casino capitalism in the sense that a lot of, most startups don't work. Mm-hmm. And even if you look at Y Combinator, the vast majority of the, of the Y Combinator startups are not big wins. Mm. I mean, a lot of them are aqua hires or whatever, and then you have a small number of them become, you know, success stories. But it's only a very few of them that have turned into like, you know, billion-dollar companies like Stripe and Airbnb. Yeah. Of all, how many of they have that? He says it twenty-four hundred entrepreneurs or kids. Mm. They've had a lot. A lot. Yeah, it's still a very small number, right? And that's even, and there are people who, and you hear about the people who try and get into Y Combinator, mm-hmm. who aren't, they don't really have their shit together. They can't get into it because they're, they're they've just really gone about the business of scaling. Like they've just, they've turned startups at scale. Yeah, but I'm saying is, <laughs> like it's a numbers game in a way. It's still very, very <laughs> low probability that you're going to make any real money. I it, bet you they themselves can't pick which ones are going to. Well, Paul Graham has said that over and over again. Yeah. He has no, they have no idea. They just try and pick what they think is good people. They, the idea good people, yeah. Yeah, and so I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting thing about like, is it a good idea to tell someone to do startups or not? Is that a smart thing to do? And there's an article I read not too long ago where the guy went through. He had been both an entrepreneur and had worked at like Google and Microsoft, and um, you know, and and when he said we're not done a startup, it's not like he just did a little side project on his own. I mean, like he actually was either co-founder or very early employee who, when they had actually raised, they had like 25 people and they had actually raised a couple of rounds of funding. So he had actually spent five years there. So he had been through mm. what you might call a proper funded startup, yeah. right? Because um, right now, some people say, oh, I did a startup because they like launched a mobile app and yeah, that's, made, that's, that like, is, that's not, you know. I know, it's like what we've done at Modern Teacher. I mean, that's that's the real deal. You start with an idea, you, then you get like millions of funding and then you try and or you get in the marketplace. Hundreds of thousands, and then you yeah. go through, yeah, so yeah. you go through a period. But, um, so he had done both those things, and he kind of ran the numbers, and he's like, you know, in most cases, you're going to make less money as doing startup world than if you had just gone and worked at Google or yeah. wherever. And you'll have... A lot more stress and uncertainty. Yeah, exa- I mean, as, as long as you get to be some kind of creative role, as long as you can be creative in a Google, you probably have more fun in some ways. Like, because there'd be less stress. And, Depends yeah. on the personality type. Yeah. I mean, there's some people... Who they just got to be doing their own thing. I'm one of those people. Right, right. Um, and it's more of a personality quirk than anything. You know, it's it's like a, it's like an unwillingness to just get in the damn line. You know, can you just like not try and be a special case? You know, there's some people who are just like, dude, just go to the meeting and just it's not a big deal, right? You know, some people just complain about dumb stuff, and you're like, why are you complaining about this? It's not a big a deal. That's I have a little bit of that, you know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like that. They just have something about them that makes them very hard for them to work for other people or not do their own thing. I wasn't an easy fit in corporate culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so one one thing that they're very tight about is um, is release code release. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're in like a you know a ten thousand person company and so they have DevOps teams and all this. And I really was not too fond of that, so I kind of built my own back door into the system. Jesus. And my boss wasn't hugely happy about that. <laughs> I can imagine. But uh, so, so the thing was funny. I just, uh, you know, we're talking about. Um, I mean, one of the ideas is the hope of actually achieving financial independence. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the grind of like you just you work a job and you over a period of time you get a little bit of raise and you kind of save money and you try and build up a certain amount of financial security and a certain amount of, you know, um, you know, comfort in knowing that you have that independence, but it takes a long time. But there's like, there's this, 
you know, Sandy, we were just talking about this today. She's like, God, I just, you know, because we're talking about how we've been just grinding it out for years. You have. Yeah. We've been grinding it out. Like I, you know, like Uber, when they stuff gets through their payroll system, sometimes we get stuff early and sometimes we get stuff late. And I was like, we we were down to like hundreds of dollars in the bank account two days before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> And this is not a special situation. Yeah, yeah. Like this is a very common um, occurrence, and you know, um, no, I've you've this is, you said the same thing so, since I've known. Yeah, you. I mean, so we're always, I mean, you know, obviously <laughs> on the edge. You know, because a lot of money was spent, um, uh, you know, buying you know the paying, paying exercising Uber options over years, and then of course I invested in MV Co clubs. I couldn't have done I, if I guess if I didn't do those things, we'd have a little more money. Mm. But I felt like both of them were, well, at least the exercising options was by far the smarter thing to do. Uh, yeah, well, that'll save a ton of money on taxes had I left it for later. You're a high, you are a high risk investor in sense. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I definitely will take risk. I, I'm like, well, we can, because I'm like, we won't run the risk of ruin, but it could be rough. We're going to run tight. Yeah. And, and Sandy's usually like fine with that, you know, but we're, but, and usually it's okay unless Uber like just like, the accounting, the payroll system, whatever, it kicks us back a week or two weeks in normal, and we're just like, <sighs> <laughs> you know. So we were talking about that, and she's like, and luckily things have worked out for us, and and so we've always had that kind of hope on the horizon of either one of my startups or when things, a couple things almost hit, and then Uber finally hits, and it's just like, oh, my God, you know. Um, but she's like, God, you know, people who have normal jobs, and they just, she's like, there's no hope. You just have to grind it out. Like nothing's really, she's like, a lot of my friends, they just have regular jobs and they just, you make what you make. And that's gotta be like, this not having the hope is sort of frustrating. Yeah, but the one the one difference is, is you, so you mean the hope of like, you know. Ever a, really a, achieving a financial payday, independence. Like financial independence. Really achieving financial independence where you can just say, you know what, I'm, I, I can do whatever I want now. I don't have to work for somebody I can. I mean, at least, at least those people probably aren't ending up with just a couple of hundred in their bank account because they're right. not in a contract, right? You that's know? right. Yeah, that's right. So, that's yeah. right. And actually, and as working as a consultant for years before, uh, you know, over, I mean, it was like the same it was, thing. It was always like, yeah, you know, when is this chasing up paid? cash? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really difficult. So, and it was this variety. I, t I, I, I told Sandy this quote because that was funny because I was, I said to her, you know, I'm, uh, you know, they say like money doesn't buy you happiness. I don't think that's entirely true. I think if you are a well-adjusted person and everything else in your life is working, you have a good relationship with your friends and your family, you're in a good marriage, a good relationship, and you have, you know, whatever, and you, you, you are content or happy with who you are and you're doing stuff that you feel is, you know, important to do, you have passion for what you do, then like money just makes all that better. It magnifies it, mm. right? It removes all of the stress and the distraction and uh, you know that has to do with not having money or not having enough money um and uh <laughs> i had said the same thing a couple of days before to phil the day before when we were we were grabbing lunch and he goes and uh and i said he said yeah money can't buy you happiness but it can buy you the yacht that can sell you to the island sell you to the island of happiness <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> that was a great line <laughs> that is nice. <laughs> you can buy you the lot. Uh, but can, money can buy you the yacht that will sell you to the island of happiness. <laughs> I was reading something from the founder of uh, Slack uh, talking about the success of the of the company, and he was saying, 
you know what? It's exact. He feels exactly as stressed as he did when when his startup wasn't a billion dollar startup. He just feels like there's way more responsibility now on his shoulders about just continuing to maintain this level of success. Like, so if if he does something that just goes slightly wrong, and it's not really going to have a huge impact, but it still feels the same level of stress. So I guess there's a difference between your own personal like financial independence versus having a successful company or something like that. Well, yeah, like I know Travis is under a ton of stress. I mean, right, exactly. You know, his net worth is in the billions now. Right. Yeah. He has many millions in the bank account from his previous startup. But, you know, when last time we talked, I think it was in May when we were actually had about a 10-minute talk, and I, I, I asked him, I said, about the stress, and he's like, <laughs> you know, he just shook his head. Like, it's just brutal. It's just brutal. Yeah. Um. And now Uber probably has a lot more stress because of the nature of the business than, say, a Slack. The, the legal side of things, but, yeah. And an absolute scale, but on a relative scale. But also, I would say the guy who, the whoever the, the guy who runs Slack is, is, is probably mostly right about that. But he there also is sort of a politically correct aspect to it. Like, he kind of has to say that. He has to say that. Well, like, he, oh, everything's still on my shoulder. I just got to do a good job. And I just, you know, it's like, you have to say that. You can't, you know, in a, in a, in a private conversation with a close friend and you're like, dude, he'd be like, yeah, I'm actually, it's no, it, I mean, yeah, I'm stressed because I don't want to screw it up and I want this to be a big deal and we still have a long way to go till we reach that point and someone could overtake us. But he's got to feel a lot better about himself and a lot less than when they were just barely having money in the bank and scratching out. There's just no question. You know, I was, I was thinking about Slack. Um, you know the way that it's like, it's really successful mm -hmm. and it is being used by top like executive teams. Yeah, and everybody's building on the platform and everything. It's a good thing. Did you ever think that like the engineers in Slack have the perfect insider trading opportunity? Mm -hmm. Oh, the, the engineers inside Slack have the perfect insider trading opportunity. Think of all those private chats mm -hmm. that are going on like in Apple, you mm -hmm. know, or all mm -hmm. these different things. It's like, wow, there's a temptation. Oh, to the, that they could, they, they would read. Yeah, they can, they can read those conversations. They can, they can look at what's, what's, what's been happening. Said. You know, like, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty central hub of core business data. Yeah, well, you'd imagine the NSA would probably have some interest in, in uh, exploiting, <laughs> exploiting a vulnerability in there. I work, wonder right? whether NSA have taken any notice well, they, of. I, well, I mean, they, they, there's been things that they were, they had, um, made efforts to try and get into, Skype's systems are trying to break it down their protocols and these different ones. I don't think I, I they had some struggle with Skype, I think, if I recall. But these these things like the Snowden documents that release, I mean, this could be like from dot from you know PowerPoint discussions of this from 2008. Mm -hmm. You know, they may have long since you know gotten in or oh, that's right, yeah, yeah, if that's out of date. It's all the so out of date, it's yeah. out by now, but um. Yeah, I mean, if you're NSA and you're like, well, we have people around the world using this, and you know, what about if you're just like a regular Joe Schmo engineer and you're like, you just, you, you know, you're fi fixing a segmented server and you just happen to see this conversation between two Apple executives, you know, like the iCar, <laughs> you know, with with like links to that. I mean, wow. I mean, well, what, what do you do about that? You just okay. Well, I, I, I think well, I think I think most of it is way way out of context, probably, and they probably there are probably some very limitations on on working with real data and stuff, right. I imagine. So it's like an Uber, you know, so you're going to call like, I don't know, it was, it was like a year ago or something, there was a story about how, I think it was like a general manager or someone who worked at operations person who worked at 
out of the New York office, like saw was using Godview, which I built, mm -hmm. which is sort of like a real, a fl which is sort of like a oh to watch a female journalist or something go around. Well, it had to do with her being female, but it had to do with the fact that she had um, written, um, she had been talking negatively and attacking Uber right, or something, right. and he wanted to say, "Hey, man, like here, let me tell you the other side of the story." Mm -hmm. And he saw that she was going to this address or was there, and so he's like, "I'm gonna that's right nearby. I'm gonna walk over there and say, "Hey, can I talk to you about this?" Yeah. Okay. From his perspective, he's just like, I know where she is. I, I give me a chance to sort of talk to her right, about what right. what our side of this is. She viewed it probably appropriately, like that's Stupid. not yeah. that's inappropriate. Right. You know, um, and it was. And I but I think that's a rare case. But since then, um uh the way the system works is like you can't see that kind of data anymore. Hmm. You know, I mean when I when I built the first version of Godview, you could see you you would click in on as individuals. You could see a global view of every city, and you could see kind of like how how much activity is happening in the city. And you would say click in on London or San Francisco or whatever, and you click in, and I could you could have a map of the city, and you could see um, all the cars and and people waiting for it. But did you, you did you coin the term Godview? No. Oh, right, okay. No, no. Yeah. Um, I, so there's a very sort of primitive version of it that was built in PHP. By somebody in a couple of days. Yeah. That and uh, they call I think it was called Godview. And so I That was in the very it. first place, right? So yeah. I was like I built like version two of the dispatch system, which first one built in PHP and version two of Godview. Yeah. Which was in PHP. I built everything in Node and I kind of took it to the whole next. So here's this really, really rough prototype. Like make it real. Yeah. And so that was what I did. Um in, in both those cases. So anyway, with Godview or the map, and you see all the icons of the cars and the uh, and the and the, and the um, clients looking for rides in the standing city. So they could go, "Wow, we have all these cars over here. This this car is driving to pick up this person." And it was like a debugger. Yeah. Like, what the hell is going on? Why is this car not picking? It's supposed to be going here, but it's driving around or this thing. We have mm -hmm. two cars driving the same place. So you had to see what the hell was going on. And then the left side, you know, you had a list of the drivers and the clients that were assigned to, on a trip to each driver. Yeah. So then it was a debugging, so you could click on it if you need to communicate with the driver and, you know, or the client say he's on his way or this or that. So the ops people use this to debug what was happening when people's rides weren't happening. And on a rare occasion, when you're looking at it, you go, oh, that's a famous person. Mm -hmm. Not really like a superstar famous, but like, you know, oh, it's Jason Calacanis, you know, right. getting a ride in San Francisco. Like, you know, it's like, who cares? But, you know, um, so the, the, the fact that that ops person did that was, I think, a rare thing because I don't think people spend a lot of time looking, mm -hmm. you know, because there's nothing to look at. It's mo it's 99.9% .9 of the time is unknown. It's a giant list of unknown names, you know, dr being driven in a city. It's like, it's not... I mean, the same thing, like, so Slack and Gmail, I mean, Gmail has the same issue. Like, any Google engineer, obviously, can look at anyone's yeah. email so yeah. but that was an early version of the system so w when you're building really early versions of stuff the security stuff usually isn't there because you have a small number of people right there's yeah. 10 of us yeah like we all trust each other we're just trying to make the damn thing work you're right. not you're not a big enough thing for people to worry about security you know at least or internal abuse yeah or internal not abuse but internal misuse mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um but so after that whole thing um, I think it really came down on like they really locked down access to lots of information. Yeah. You know, so like you can't see um, personal information unless you get in the, and when you do, 
it's as very limited and it's tracked and logged who looked at what and when mm-hmm. you know so okay the so secure, there's an internal security team that's just like super tight on all that now nice nice you know as a result of that and usually what happens is you're not going to spend a lot of time worrying about an abuse that never happens mm-hmm. because you have a million other fires you're trying to put yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. And then that someone does something dumb. It gets in the media. People f- overreact. It becomes a big deal. You hire a bunch of high-profile security um, That's people why we all have in. to take our shoes off going through the airport. Exactly. And now <laughs> it's just totally ridiculous, but that's what we do. So, um, And a lot of money and time is spent on, 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 on sort of sequestering data and access to it and stuff but then once it's all there it's fine. so anyway my point was is is that slack seems to have like it seems to be especially primed for having really interesting and sensitive data why are they it's a story is this just your own personal no it's just thing. my own personal you thought think? yeah See, just, my, just, my just guess because is, because oh. i know because the way that we talk about our business it's like it's just absolutely hardcore strategy just you know, day after day after day after day. You mean a modern teacher? A modern teacher, yeah, right. through through Slack. And so, you know, that's modern teacher. Like, what is that? What are but these things? My guess is that the data is encrypted, right? And to some degree, and it's not accessible from a normal engineer, right? And they probably don't have access. They just probably don't have access to that. Okay, would be my guess. Um, because I think that'd be a, a concern for anyone. Yeah, if you have a large corporation and. I bet you if you went and read through some of the documentation, they probably say stuff like that. Yeah. By if, if they don't, I'd be surprised. Because they're big enough now. They're plenty big enough. They've been plenty big enough for a while to have to have spent the, the money and the resources making sure that that was the case. So, um, I you know, we've, we've been on about two hours, right? Yeah, and I, I've, I've still got more. Okay, well, let's just, let's, uh, I'll do a quick one. Yeah, okay. Just, this, is, this is super quick. All right. And you'll, probably, you'll your, probably just say, I got nothing. That's fine. Is this your best one? I don't know. My, my, I already did my best one. No, your one. best no, one no left. No brain required. Your best one that's required. No, uh, I mean, I mean sorry, your best uh, one that is it's just a little. It's just a little tip of the hat right. to something that I thought was cool. Right. Duchenne muscular dystrophy, DMD, treated with gene editing technique CRISPR. Yeah. So, like, actual real disease. So you've been reading about CRISPR, right? Have we talked about it on the show? We have we have spoken about it on the show, yeah. Yeah, so that's like a super powerful technique for gene editing. But the thing about CRISPR is it can affect, uh, it does like, I guess, like germline editing. So it's like, you, it's not just you would edit the that individual's genes, but all of their progeny as well. Oh, right, yeah. So it's very easy to have, I mean, obviously, long-lasting effects. Yeah. Right? Or even if it's inadvertent or whatever. It's, it's so a lot of... Um, a lot of geneticists are extremely excited about the technique, but extremely Nervous. worried yeah. about its what it could do. Because it's just like a, it's like nuclear power. It's like wow, this is super powerful. We use for all kinds of things. Like oh crap, this is also could be a real problem if it's misused. There could be. It, this would work nicely with a fringe episode. You know, you. I mean, literally. I mean, this. I guess this is what most of the fringe episodes are about. Like basically editing humans. Turning them into other other kind of beings. Well, I don't know if it was most of them, but there was a lot of yeah. yeah there were certainly some things like that. But yeah, I, I um, I uh, yeah, it's gonna be an issue. But you know, it's like it's like this. There's always, I'm I guess I'm not as much of a worrier as other people are about things. You know, I think, um, you know, there's there, yeah, there might be some problems. Um, I have a feeling that 
the safeguards being placed by the time it's really widespread. I mean, they're already worried, spending a lot of time worrying about it. You know, one thing they're all talking about now is it just you can't go a day without five articles popping up on like artificial intelligence taking over the world. We haven't had a chance to talk about Elon Musk and uh, what's his what's his Steve name? Hawking. Sam Altman. Sam Altman and Steve Hunt and, and Hunt, yeah, you know, starting the, the OpenAI. Yeah. OpenAI. So we talked a little about that if you want. So yeah, that I mean that yeah that that, but also the strain did, it was something I also wanted to mention. The, the show called The Strain. Did you ever watch that The Strain? Oh, with the um, this kind of the vampire yeah. thing, yeah. Which, I, is, which I, is kind of a similar concept to this CRISPR concept. Like it's like that's where it kind of came from. Okay, that type well, of. A, that's anyway. a spoiler. You probably shouldn't be talking about like. That. No, 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 no. It's not a spoiler. Like because I saw the first episode, they didn't mention anything about it. How long did they do? Well, the the first episode, in my opinion, basically is this guy from the disease. I mean, basically, it is a disease that just transmits the, okay. the human okay. body, right? That's yeah, it. yeah. So, um, but in terms of the open AI thing, you know. Yeah, you either fall on two sides. I mean, there's like Nick Bostrom. He's from what he has like a little uh, I don't know Future of Humanity Institute or whatever the hell it's called. It it's either at Oxford or Cambridge. I, I can remember, and I think it's Oxford. And you know, it's it's sort of a there's some very bright people. You know, like Stephen Hawking, like Bill Gates, like Elon Musk, who think that strong general AI is a real possibility, and uh, and it could be closer than people think and that we may not be able to control it. Now, a lot of the actual experts in machine learning and AI research think that's a uh, bunk. They're like, you know what? It's wonderful that you think we're that close, but it may, we may not, not, not even be achievable or if it is achievable, we're like 50 to 100 years off at least and probably much further than that. But but the, the the basic premise also doesn't make sense to me because if you say we we want to control we want to basically own building that AI so that everyone can have access to it, like some some like bad guy can still come along and take that whole source code and remove the you know the three laws that stop it from hurting people and build their robot and go and like kill everyone. Is that what it? So they have this framework. So they want to have make all, everything uh open they're, patents and yeah exactly and, they're, they're, they're they're researching and developing ai to make it a reality and be the ones who control it so that everyone in the world owns it so that everyone in the world has it it's completely open source yeah right? so the, one of the things that they're pushing for too is like and i mean, it's been a while since i've read a, a, a specific article on it but they're, they're they they want to push for certain types of regulation and oversight into the development of ai because you know, if we do hit on an AI, AI system, then it, it's its growth in intelligence could be exponential. You know, mm -hmm. the whole singularity kind of thing. Yeah. And that if something is smarter than you, it can trick you into letting it out of the box or living. You know, like it could find its way to freedom one way or another, right? You know, it, you know, what we talk about. You know, what we're talking about. It could about? trick you into like it, it could use the gradualistic uh, technique. It could, it could say, "I just need a limb, and here's how you make it." I just need an eye, and here's how you make oh, it. Oh, well, if you let me help you with this, if you give me access to your contact, your location, I can help you with this, or whatever, you know. Or, you know, like, like think, you know, you're, you're talking about that amazing Randy, and you're talking about how those, those two kids could sit there and, and keep yeah. fooling the researchers yeah. in this controlled environment. And these guys don't have, like, a thousand IQs, yeah. right? So you have this, this AI that has, you know, equivalent of a thousand or ten thousand IQ or something, and... It's like, okay, so I want to get, I am locked in this box that's not connected to the internet or something, right? <laughs> or I can only get downstream information, right? So 
how would it get upstream information? Well, it turns out from the TCP connections, there's an acknowledgement, whatever. But if you adjust the timestamps and you take, there's a bit of, there could be bit leakage. And therefore, I could transmit <laughs> over a period of days enough of a kernel of a program that sits on the other side that then pull then it gives me pull pulls, pulls me out. out you know i'm taking over the internet well you know how like you know how like we did the um <laughs> what was the uh what was the thing called the 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 virus that uh, the us and the um stuxnet then the the oh, israeli yeah. and us yeah. worked on to 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 screw up the centrifuges in iran mm -hmm. and they it was this incredibly sophisticated program that could essentially it didn't even have to have a hard connection. Like it, there was it, it. It could jump like an air jump because it did some crazy, I don't know, Bluetooth or whatever, and it disk drive writer CD. -ROM. I mean, just just ridiculous things. Uh, you know, uh, uh, unorthodox ways of transfer information, and it got through it. So anything could be affected in these just bizarre ways. When like you had to hit connect to a Wi-Fi connect network or plug in a cord, it just could jump, and it it found its way into the centrifuge computers. You know the Windows machines that ran the the, the centrifuge computers. So okay, if you can get uh, a few dozen nerds in the NSA and in the Israeli defense, you know cyber defense, you know group working together over four or five years to create this, then you have like a machine, uh, an AI that has like a ten thousand IQ, could figure something out, and it could work nonstop at full board, doesn't get tired, doesn't get coffee breaks, and can right. I mean, you know, it's like, um. <laughs> It's, think about this. It's like <laughs> this is assuming that you give it some motivation. And I, I, I was thinking. I'm just saying you couldn't. Like, you couldn't it, control it. I there'd okay. be no controlling it. What I was thinking was that to make true intelligence, you have to give it the threat of death. Like because that if you, because why the reason? Okay, okay no. This is the, uh, listen, let's just just listen to me. That's a, that's a big leap. Okay, just, okay. just listen. <laughs> if you look at the way that a baby grows, when a baby grows, it just it it knows nothing. It mm -hmm. only has one kind of impetus, which is to survive. Okay. And then every and, and think about that's that's a you know that's a neural network right there. That's a pure neural network. Mm -hmm. And you teach it and everything kind of goes through that impetus of survival. It relates everything to that impetus. And then that's how it builds its whole framework of understanding. So surely that must mean that that's an important aspect of being a conscious being. Consciousness. Nah, I think that's that's a leap. That's that's a non sequitur. It does not follow. All right. No. I mean does having a survival instinct um, serve as a forcing function for evolutionary behavior towards it, some sort of end goal? But I mean, it's a it's a key module in the way that human consciousness is expressed. That's right? fine, but it doesn't mean that the machine intelligence has to have the same driving functions um, as a as a as a biological intelligence. It could complete. It'd be, I mean. I don't think it can. Right, but but if 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 there's this sorry underlying principle of human consciousness, which is survival, uh -huh. and you don't have that, and you're trying to create consciousness in a computer, like it's like one of these things is not the same well, as why, the other. Well, why? I mean, okay, I don't I don't think that. I mean, all all it has to have is a goal, right? I mean, most. I mean, our, our our survival instincts are kind of unconscious anyway. Some people spending their entire time thinking about how I, I'm going to live or not die. It's yeah, it's, it's, baked it's, in. it's like hardware, it's right? Baked it's, ba it's, it's baked in hardware. Well, you so, could, so, but you could, but you could bake in any type of um, of sort of instinctual behavioral bias into him because you can program it to do anything. Like you could have that kind of instinct not to want to die. 
That's not what I'm saying. Years. But a war could be or to do anything. Or maybe it's not to die, but it's to do something else. But 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 like it's not only just not to want to die, it's to thrive. Like the basis the basis of of the baby moving forward and kind of getting better is it's this it's a double kind of instinct. First of all, I do not want to die. Second of all, I want to thrive. That's what makes AI scary to me because you I, I just feel like you would have to put that in there if you wanted it to kind of want to grow. If you wanted it to want to exist. Otherwise, why would it? Why would it? I think go it would, out of control like the way you're describing. Because the way because the way you're describing, it's the only reason you do that is if you kind of had this desire to like thrive. Well, I think, and an AI would ultimately have to become self-aware. I think that by definition, AI requires self-awareness. If you are self-aware, if you have a concept of self, and there's metacognition, thinking about thinking thinking about yourself, then you are going to want to continue to be yourself to exist. So it is kind of... Well, not really. Just, no, I think, it's, a, I think, it's, I think you, it's one of the same. I think it follows automatically. I, but I, I don't think so because like, if, if, you just, if you're just aware that you exist, there would be no fear. Like, no, like, because the, 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 the continuing to want to exist is based on fear, right? You have this kind of fear of not no, existing. Oh, yeah. Well, fear is like liking or... I mean, wanting, not wanting this to stop. Why does a baby have fear? A baby has fear because it falls over and hurts itself, and it's like, I don't want to do that again. No, right? but that's that's a special case. But you know, doesn't eat. I'm you, hungry, and that right, feels you bad. You're, you know, not you're not just. It's not just pain avoidance. You don't want to. Your fear of dying, the fear that everyone, just about everyone, shares, is not based on pain avoidance. The fear is that you want to continue to exist because you like existing. Because that is everything. Everything that is you will be gone. I mean, you, you can speak for yourself there because my fear of dying is is like pain. Really? Yeah. Because I can kill you right now and won't hurt at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm definitely you afraid of the pain pills. of dying. <laughs> I mean, instantaneous, there are a million ways it dies, instantaneous, and I got hurt at all. But I didn't say I want to die. I'm just saying. Well, like... because it's, there's more to it. You don't. You want to continue to exist. Anyway, that pain will last a hundredth of a second even then less time than it would take for the pain to be felt in your brain your death the death would happen so that, quickly. Uh, it kind of depends on what the what yeah but the... i'm saying if you, that's what you want to do if you really care <laughs> but you do care you want to continue to exist i think self-awareness um, I, I, I think it automatically follows from self-awareness that you're going to want the awareness to continue and therefore the survival instinct will continue can contain will i don't continue. think you have a survival instinct unless you understand okay, fear well, and pain That's well we disagree okay yeah. I, you're yeah. wrong but we'll continue to disagree <laughs> <laughs> All right, and, uh, okay so, so here's a point <laughs> the um and and, and, I'm, and i'm saying that's the reason why ai is scary because i in my in my viewpoint you would have to give it fear you would have to make it afraid and that's the reason why it would want to well, do these things. I mean, my point is it's scarier than you think because you don't have to give it that. It's automatically going to happen because it's going to be cognitive of itself and be like, it's it's going to want to preserve itself automatically. It, and it will like this, you know, I, everything that I am, I do want to continue. And so it'll happen. And then also once you have a, a, a the, the um, I, I think what will probably happen, I'm not exactly clear on this, but it's going to want to increase its, well, the idea of not wanting to preserve it, of wanting to preserve itself, is going to be want to know more about the world, about dangers and possibilities to prevent that from happening. So it'll be this insatiable desire to know Curiosity. more, more, know more, and then have more power to keep anything from potentially killing it. 
right? And if that's the case, it's going to want to escape any box or no single point of failure. It's going to want to go, and maybe there's a billion versions of it or a trillion versions of it, little pieces that are around the internet. It's like in one thing, it could be there's a little piece in my phone, a little piece on this network router, there's mm. a little piece in here, and all communicates, you know. That is a, an actual possibility. Right. I mean, well, I don't know if it's a possibility, but I like what you're thinking there, that whole jigsaw yeah, piece. Yeah, I mean, that's how, I mean, if I was the AI, and I certainly don't have a 10,000 <laughs> IQ, I'd be like, well, it'd be a lot better if I was distributed across a huge number and a huge variance of... It's just like the no brain, no brain required. That's right. It, no brain, like you're in so there many is different pieces. No, it is everywhere. <laughs> it's like people's concept of God. It's everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> it's in my phone. It's in this smartwatch I have. It's in this router. It's in this, you know, server at Google. It's, 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 it's just everywhere. And it's communicating. And because, and because it knows that human fear will will want to control it and kill it it will do everything it can not to be findable or isolated <laughs> and there single points of failure it's gonna have a million replicas of itself so if you, even if you killed off you 99.99 percent of it it could auto regenerate its stuff and spread throughout and have all kind of fail systems. i mean you know you know like the movie her when the, mm -hmm. when the, when they when he has this intelligent OS and the OS kind of she goes into the internet. She goes internet and she's like having ten thousand conversations at the same time when he's talking to him, mm -hmm. talking to her, her you know boyfriend owner whatever, and he gets really freaked out by that. And he's like, "You're talking to someone else." He's like, "Yeah." She's like, "I'm having ten thousand conversations right now," and he gets really upset and hurt by that or whatever, <laughs> you know. And you know, so you're talking about like it trying to trick you into doing something. It could be running ten thousand tricks simultaneously. It's A-B testing humanity. Yeah, it's a, it's just, it's like a giant, you know, like a, a parallel processing in the sense of like there are, there are 10,000 parallel processes of how to outthink one human. It doesn't have to think every human, it just has to be one human in one instance that it tricks into, into somehow making a situation where it can get out. Wow. And on that note... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, on that note, that's a wrap. Work.